Hello, everyone. Um, bear with me here. Um, you know, I'm working at a little bit of a disadvantage. I don't have my uh, hardwired um, set um, ready to go, but I have a couple of co-hosts I am waiting to arrive, and one of them I am sending out the invite to um, Donna, uh, see if you can receive it. And uh, Danny is also going to be my other co-host this evening, and I've invited some other folks. So let's see how Twitter behaves tonight. Um, Donna, um, I have sent you the invite not sure if you have been able to see it yet. I see Danny here, so I'm going to send her the invite as well. And I'll be looking, um, Donna, we might have to communicate behind the scenes a little bit. Okay, it looks like Danny's um, mic is working. She's come up. But, uh, okay, she made it to the co-host spot, so... Welcome, Danny. Um, Donna, um, see if you can send me an, a request and see if we can at least just get you at speaker. Try that. Evening, mm -hmm. everyone. And I also just sent her a request, too. Hopefully one of us can get her up here. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think she's having kind of the same issue, perhaps, that... Um, Dawn was having because of the the uh, type of system that they're working on, but we're going to work around this. I am going to send out some invites to try to get um, some folks um, up here, and um, I'm still going to, Donna, you, um, I'm still not seeing anything from you, so um, you may need to come back uh, to go out and to come back and um, let me see. I'm going to try one more time just to send you a regular invite. Let's see what happens. Okay. I don't see any activity there. And um, so we are going to uh, roll, start to row and just kind of um, bear with the the glitches and and try to recover and you know move as best we can. Donna, um, do you want to try come going out and coming back in? I see our friend Allie is here. Um, want to let her speak early because I know it's very very late over there. So thank you, my dear for hanging in there with us. I do have um, one of my co-hosts here. Going to try to um, get us started. I want to just start with welcoming you all to Advocacy Arena. And it is a place where we strive to bring awareness and shine a light on important issues. And um, tonight, we will be shining a light on issues in our education system. And I have the honor of having interviewed several um, P3 
people in our community, such as Danny, who is my co-host tonight, and Donna, and I'm trying to make her my other co-host, but we're having a little difficulty. Hopefully, we can work through that. But I interviewed them, and our discussion centered around um, the issues for parents and students who are navigating the education system and doing so while uh, dealing with learning disabilities or special needs. And um, I am anxious for them to kind of share their story. Some of you have listened to the interview. If you haven't, I hope that you do. But I want to feature their conversation tonight, but I've invited some other folks who are in education. I have been sent some material, and I would just like us to have some conversation around it because we know um, that currently we have a very active um, assault, continuous assault on our education system. So I think um, just as much as the focus uh, on voting rights and those things to um, save our democracy, which is also under attack, education is certainly a part of that. And um, I have Steve in the room also who I invited who shared a fantastic video with me that uh, I will be sharing some information from because I really learned so much from it. It's one of those that I know I will um, go back and watch again because it was I had to stop and start several times. I'm going to be putting that link in the Jumbotron, but it was an interview done by uh, Dr. Greg Carr with uh, Dr. Leslie Fenwick, who has written an outstanding book. And that's what the interview was about. And the title of the book escapes me now, but I think that it was Jim Crow's Pink Slip. Um, And it really is focused around the um, case that gave us, uh, you know, the Brown versus Board, which allowed us to desegregate the school system. But in the interview that Danny and Donna and I had, we talked about even with those gains, some of the gains that were not, um, that we didn't get, that we should have. Oh, wow, I have my wonderful, wonderful um, other featured guest here at Speaker Now, so feel much better. And Donna, you're at Speaker, but you just behave um, like you're in that co-host spot. So I want this to be an opportunity for you and Danny to expand on the story that you shared with me, give people an opportunity to ask you questions and have others who may have stories and um information, things that they want to share around this to come up and join in the conversation with us. So with that, uh, I am ready to kick it off and get us started. And Stephen, again, I want to thank you. Um, I'm sending you an invite. And I know that you said you may not be able to come and talk. That's okay. Whenever you are, um, please do Um, accept the mic and come up and join us. But again, I just want to thank you for that resource that you shared with me. I so thoroughly enjoyed. So let's get started. I want to welcome you all here again to Advocacy Arena, where tonight we are bringing awareness, shining a light on 
issues within our education system. And um, hopefully we can uncover some solutions perhaps. And I think that it's such a broad problem that it is going to require a lot of broad, diverse solutions. So um, we're open to those um, conversations and ideas tonight. And I would like to start by first allowing my co-host, we'll begin with Danny and then Donna to say hello um, and share anything that they would like to that is on their mind tonight. Yes, uh, good evening. And thank you so much for having me and allowing me to co-host with you, Ms. D. And uh, good evening to everyone. Welcome. <laughs> um, yes, so uh, Mama Donna and I, we did participate in uh, the podcast and it was really highlighting um, both of our journeys and including Ms. D's journey with how we had to um, advocate for our own children. Um, we were met with teachers that were not in supportive, that, that was not in support of our children, um, that pushed back, that said some very unsavory things about each of our children. Um, and then also finding a way to work within the system that is available. And I think that's the hardest part about being a parent today. Because um, I said this in the podcast, you don't know what you don't know. And there is no real guideline or handbook on to show you how to do this. It's really trial and error. It's really just speaking up, asking questions. And once you're done, ask some more questions. Sometimes you do have to, you know, shake the table, raise your voice, Um other times it might require that you call someone, that you um, ask to speak to the principal, ask to speak to the guidance counselor, ask to speak to the uh, ESD specialist. Um, and then there are definitely times where you have to now go outside of the school and maybe go into um, lawmakers' offices, right? Your local um, elected, your uh, local elected officials, um, to see if they can help. And it's unfortunate because it should not be this hard just to make sure that our children get quality education. And I think that was um, the biggest takeaway, or I'm hoping it is, um, with this podcast. All of our journeys are different, but there were so many similarities of what we were put up against. And so I just want to say thank you again, Misty. Well, thank you um, so very much, like I said, for being so gracious with your time um, and being vulnerable enough to share uh, your stories. And I hope that people can learn from all of our story, uh, stories. And again, like I said, not only learn, share a little bit in our heartache, but um, find some solutions um, to prevent other parents and students from having to go through um, some of the things that we or our children experienced. So Donna, you're up next. Hi Dee, and thank you to everyone in the space. And just to kind of go back up what Danny said, uh, it is, it's, it's an awesome fight. Sometimes you, you're surprised by what you hear. And you'd be like, this, this person could possibly be talking about my child. Not like this. And the struggles that you go through. But me, I was blessed that I had a teacher, her first and kindergarten teacher, 
was such a help because she helped me navigate the system because she knew it. Me, I was a first-time mom, young child, you know, didn't really know the school system like that. But like I say, she was a godsend and she was there to help me and also my mom. So I'm looking at some of the people, younger people out here or people who don't have certain resources, who helps them? How do they find the things for their child that they need? So my fight still continues. Me and Danny, we still fighting because I'm helping her try to navigate this system with her son. So I'm still here and I'm still fighting all of mine, the ones, uh, my daughter, my godson, and um, a cousin who I had to fight for. They're all grown now, living productive lives. So now I've got another one to fight for. And some more out there that maybe I don't know about yet. <laughs> we'll see. Right. And <laughs> so I'll land there. And thank you again, Dee. You're very welcome. And I just want to take an opportunity, you know, guys, um, I a lot of people who host spaces, they give shout outs to the whole room. I just kind of give the general thank you all so very much for being uh, so gracious and sharing your time and uh, supporting me and the spaces I have. But I do want to take a moment to give a special shout out to someone who is in the room. My cousin, I'm so glad to have you join us tonight. And I don't know if um, you have been in the Twitter spaces, but I sent you an invite. I would love to have you come up because uh, I'm so proud of him. Uh, he is an educator. He is also a retired Marine. And um, I have talked to him about uh, interviewing him and getting him to tell his story. So I'm not sure that, uh, like I said, you know how to operate things, but I followed you. I sent you an invite. If you can come up, please do. If, if um, you don't see the invite, uh, over to your far left, there is a um, microphone icon, and you can request the mic. I will accept that and come up. But, you know, it's okay if you just want to sit and listen. I just want to send you much love, and thank you for joining us. So, uh, And next, um, we have Joseph, who has come up, um, and Allie. And I would like to give them an opportunity to um, share uh, with us and contribute to our conversation. And then I want to kind of go back to the video that Steve so graciously shared that I really learned so much from in just like a couple of hours before doing the space. And I hope Dr. Marshall is going to be able to come up and speak with us tonight because she was very, very moved. Uh, she told me personally how moved she was by your interview. And she too, as you had said, Danny, um, could relate to it from the standpoint of being an advocate for um, relatives of hers in the education system and also being an educator herself. So I think it's important that we share these stories, that we connect them. And again, like I said, see if we can come up with some um, 
solutions. And I, again, am under no illusion that we're going to come up with one, you know, state solution for everything or for everyone. But I think we can discuss possibilities, certainly. And I uh, am looking forward to getting this book because in the book that Dr. Fenwick uh, wrote, she also listed nine recommendations. And um, they didn't share that in the video interview that, um, she had, which, you know, is of course going to make us go out and buy the book, but she still shared a wealth of information with um, Dr. Carr in, you know, those 50 minute, uh, con that 50 minute conversation that they had. So good evening, Joseph. I am so glad that you have come up and join us. Uh, so I'm going to give you an opportunity to speak. And then Allie, um, sorry, excuse me, Joseph, can we reverse that? Because my, my Lady Allie is way over there in Paris, tired. Uh, it's late, the wee hours, and she might fall asleep. And I just want to give her an opportunity because she really does sometimes extend herself. Yes, yes, us. of course, Miss D. Yeah, I know it, it's it's probably like midnight or after in Paris. So definitely, definitely she can go first. Thank you so much. I knew you would be a gentleman and, and allow that. So, Allie, my dear, thanks for being here with us this evening. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you so much. And thank you very much, Joseph. That was very kind of you. Um, I, I also just wanted to say that the, it was a, an incredibly moving um, experience to listen to your podcast, Dee. And thank you for all to all three of you, Dee and Danny and Donna, for sharing your stories um, Danny, it was, I was so pleased that you sh shared Dominic's art, as you know, it was, um, when I had seen it once before and it was just, it's so beautiful, but, um, having worked back, uh, way back at the beginning of my career in Colorado with, uh, children and a lot, working a lot in the school systems, one of the main things that I would also say to people was that you just have to be an advocate for your child and go in and it's the parents that make, uh, the things happen. Um, and, um, I, 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 I'm not quite sure what to do, Dee. I did want to mention to you that there's some breaking news. Uh, there has no, been... No, that's fine. You know, in, we always are advocate. We talk about the news. We are always advocating at all times for democracy because without that, we don't get to uh, have the other things okay. that we want. So go ahead. What is it? Well, there's been, a, there's been some military strikes back and forth between the U.S. and Iran right. um, in northern Syria. And um, it's happening right now. Uh, there was a drone attack by Iran first that killed an American serviceman. And then there were retaliatory strikes. And now there is a, another volley from the Iranians. I can put some initial things into the, the uh, and I'm so sorry because I know that derails your topic. Um, it just seems like it's we can a, we can go back to it uh, because I do. I think there are uh, some other, you know, breaking stories. I'm sure that sure. people would like to okay. cover. So we'll stick a sorry pen in it and thank you for, yes. you know, bringing it up because I did see that 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 we were preparing to do that. And I also, you know, I, it is important for us to cover geopolitics because what happens, you know, across the, the ocean matters because um, 
all our democracies are interconnected. And um, I also came across something in the um, Ukraine war in that Russia seems to be pulling out there. So, um, yes. I'm sorry to interrupt the, the flow. Just to thank no, you. No, that's okay. okay. Go ahead, that's, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that and uh, sharing that information for us. Can okay. I just jump in and say uh, that that moment was like school leadership. It's like, oh, uh, you had all these plans and now let's talk about this because this has come up and it's urgent. So I just want to share. Right. You just have to go with the flow just sometimes, the flow. you know. Yes, life is fluid like that. <laughs> so uh, thank you uh, for that, Ali. I appreciate it. And did um, you have anything else that you wanted to share? Because I know it's likely that you just might fall asleep on us and it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm I'm wide awake now. There's, Paris is burning and <laughs> the Iranians are striking. And I'm listening to your space, so I'm, I'm wide awake. Thank you so much. So I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You're welcome, dear, and stay safe over there. Yes, Paris is going through its own thing, too. So we're always keeping you in our thoughts and prayers to, you know, stay safe and, you know, keep us informed of um, the progress that are being made around, you know, their um, the workers' rights and things like that. And putting always, a, I feel like, a more realistic spin on those things, um, being that you're there as opposed to how they may be reported to us here. Um, so thanks again for that. Um, and next we're going to go to Joseph and then Steve, uh, because Steve, um, as I said, was so gracious in sharing that video um, for me of uh, Dr. Finley. So thanks again. So Joseph, how are you, dear? Fine. Th fine. Thank you, Ms. D. I just got home from a bit of a long drive from work uh, the last couple of days I was uh, out in the field uh, visiting one of my uh, one of my offices so with good traffic it's about an hour away uh, with bad traffic it, it uh, took me almost two hours to get home so <laughs> but uh, anyway I'm so sorry and I don't miss those oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well you know it makes me appreciate the days when I can work at home even more <laughs> uh, so I, you know, with notice that you had, you know, with the topic was being education and, you know, I've seen a lot of tweets today about something that the Republicans are doing that I, I haven't looked in depth, but to me, it sounds like more of an effort to, you know, restrict what kids are learning and almost sounds like kind of like, you know, their attempts to like whitewash history and, you know, it's just, you know, I don't have any kids. So technically, I don't have any skin in the game per se. But still, I care because the kids of this country, they're, they're being intellectually stunted by not learning history as it should have. I mean, when I think about when I was in school, you know, it feels like, you know, I, there wasn't enough that I was taught in both elementary school and high school when it came, when it came to history, I think I'm trying to remember, I think I first learned about slavery when I was in fifth grade and we discussed the civil war a little bit, but we really didn't discuss it in depth. I really didn't discuss the civil war in depth until I was in high school. And then when I was in seventh grade, uh, that's when we first learned about the Holocaust uh, because that was the year that Schindler's List came out. And in class, we read the uh, Diary of Anne Frank. Um, but I feel like, 
I, I, you know, what these Republicans are trying to do, do you know, it, what so many people say, they're just trying to hide the shame of what happened in decades past. And it's like, okay, history is not always going to be pleasant, but you have to acknowledge the bad things in history in order to not repeat them. And what we're seeing right now is, you know, people repeating the same mistakes of the past. I mean, when I was, when I was younger and I, when I was learning about the civil rights era, I used to sometimes think, geez, I'm glad I didn't grow up in the era when my parents grew up in, because it, it seemed like it was such an uh, unpleasant time, you know, in regards, in regards to that. But now it feels like in a way, it, it it's almost it's almost even worse than that. I mean, or we're we're regressing back to it, right? Because you know better. We've done exactly. better. We've been it, better, and to go backwards is insane. It's insane. And I, I, you know, how how are our kids supposed to grow up and compete globally when their education is being stunted and it's, you know, and and a lot of people say this, so I know I'm not the first one to say this, but I think the Republicans want to keep people stupid and ignorant because they're more likely to vote for them. I mean, let's let, you know, who's voting for the Republicans? Let's, you know. Let, well, the former guy did say he loves the uh, uneducated. Yes, exactly, exactly. And it just, you know. As as somebody who was, you know, I, I, you know, especially I I was I've always been a bit of a history geek. So when I see these attempts to whitewash history, uh, it really makes me mad because, again, like I feel like I wasn't taught enough and there were a lot of things that I just didn't know. And maybe Maybe some things probably were a bit uh, whitewashed how I was uh, how I was taught them. So uh, you know we're we're doing a big disservice to our younger generation by not allowing them to uh, fully explore and get prop you know and get a proper proper education. And as somebody that you know I valued education so much. That this is this is heartbreaking that we're going through this. This should this should not be happening in this country. It shouldn't. And uh, I just I don't know what we're going to do about it, because it's just I, I, I hear about it from people that I follow that are in my area, that there's different school boards uh, in my county where, you know, the extremists have taken over. You know, I've got. I mean, they're making it a national effort. They actually, we talked about this and we talk about it all the time. They actually have uh, grassroots, uh, dark money funded organizations whose sole purpose is to um, go in and to upset um, local uh, school boards and and take over. now that they don't have control at the federal level, they are continuing to do their work at the at local levels and organizations like 
Moms of Liberty, and I can't remember the one who uh, is working so actively down there in Florida, but it absolutely is an assault on our education system and an effort to take us backwards. I, I put several stories up in the uh, nest in the Jumbotron that I felt were very pertinent to this topic. And of course, one is the fact that the, uh, the House uh, passed a bill today parents' rights bill, you know, which is basically um, giving them cover, legal cover, you know, from, a, from federal legislation to do what they've been doing under uh, cover in these, uh, under state legislative um, bills, you know, uh, taking, uh, banning books and those types of things. And, uh, you know, kind of a, a funny story, which I think is, you know, like if there is any humor in this assault on our education system is the fact that in Utah, there is a parent who has bought a lawsuit against them to um, take the Bible out of school. And they don't like that. <laughs> they have accused them of, you know, of antics to drain the school resources, like them taking out Rosa Parks and uh, the bluest eye and... Um, you know, other such uh, yeah. uh, books is not wasting resources. So, and, you, know. you know, about the, and about the books, here's one more thing that I'll add. My first job was at a library and I loved it. And I, you know, as a kid going to the library was just always so much fun because I liked I, when I was younger, I used to read so much and to be able to work in a library and be surrounded by so many books was I mean, it was it was fantastic. Joy, joy. I understand that because I still love libraries, libraries and craft stores are some of my favorite two of my favorite places. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The library, it was it, it was just a fantastic place to to work. And so it infuriates me when I see, you know, books being banned because I'll tell you in, uh, in the library that I worked at, you know, there were some books, you know, that I didn't like. I'll give you an example. Cause I worked there. It was during towards the end of part of the year. It was like half of it was toward the end of Bill Clinton's presidency. And then the first few years of George W. Bush's presidency, and it was during a time when some of the the used to be, I should say, prominent right wing pundits started, you know, putting out all their silly books. And, you know, I was bothered that we had them in the library because I thought it was just all hot air. But at the same time, it's like, OK, you know, I have to respect somebody's right to to want to read that if they choose, because there are books, you know, from the opposite perspective. So, um you know, but banning books just because you don't want kids to read about, you know, the black perspective or the gay perspective or the Jewish perspective. It's horrible. It, it, it's absolutely horrible. And again, it is intellectually stunting children. And it, it's it, it's uh, I, I don't know when it's going to come to an end. Yeah, well, it's also designed um as we said, we talk about this push toward authoritarianism. It's it's a way to push propaganda um, to um, kind of uh, toward the mind, the hearts and minds of the very young. 
um, with the narrative that um, they want to push. And when, you know, you can basically indoctrinate kids, um, then you can control them. You can take over. So again, like I said, I see it as a, you know, an attack and an affront to our democracy and them doing this. Oh, and I think it's very interesting too um, that um, two of the top books, there are three, but the two that I can recall that they're also that are at the top of their banning list. And you can guess why uh, George, George Orwell's. Oh yes. Okay. And, and um, the handmaiden's tale. Mm. Hmm. Wonder why they don't want people reading about that. Right. Right. <laughs> and uh, the third one will come to me, but um, I was listening to a, a story and those were like the top three, because again, this, like you said, I'm a bit of a history nerd as well. And I like to talk about politics. And the reason a lot of people say, well, I'm not into politics. I don't like it. And it's like, well, you don't have to be into it, but you need to be aware of it because it's affecting everything. Mm-hmm in your Mm -hmm. life and what actually is going on right now today in politics will be what your kids read about in you know the coming years as history you know so it is important for us to talk about it to put it in context and perspective which is why they are so actively trying to whitewash it and take it away um so that people don't recognize this i mean we talk about the holocaust i mean it wasn't really that long ago it hasn't been more than a century and they are already you know like making light of it and um you know really welcoming a repeat of it and you know what how long have we been past january 6th okay they're already trying to pretend that it was a you know just some Mm things you know so if they control the the education system and the books and the narrative um then they really control the populace yeah yeah so i'd say so we're we're definitely in for a fight on on that so uh, uh so i guess with that i'll land uh i'll land my plane there and i'll i'll hang out for for a bit so thank you so much Ms. d for uh inviting me up to to speak and you know i always appreciate your spaces and all the wonderful work that you do and so yeah so that thank you everyone well, thank you, Joseph, and I do appreciate that. And uh, to my um, two co-hosts now, Donna is a uh, also a featured co-host, but um, Uh, did you, did you uh, call on me? I'm sorry. I think I lost you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I think everyone couldn't hear oh, me okay. for a minute. Like her. <laughs> okay, so um, while Ms. D works on that, I guess we can go to Dr. Marshall, and then we'll come to you, Stephen. Good evening, everyone. Hello, Danny. Hello, Donna. Mama Donna. Hello, Ms. D. Um, I wanted to first comment on, I think it was Joseph, but someone said that, um, they didn't have children and couldn't 
comment much about school boards and what's happening, but I disagree with that. We all pay taxes. Whether you have children or not, your tax dollars are going to support the schools and other public facilities and um, events in your city. Whether or not you are welcomed at a school board meeting or a parent-teacher association meeting is another thing because it depends on the city and with all of the changes that are going on now, they may, they might not, some communities might not welcome a, an individual who doesn't have a child in any school system or doesn't have children for that matter. However, I think that we all can play a role at a school board meeting, even if you don't have a child in that school or have children. You may know more about what's happening in the community than the parents do, not because the parents aren't interested, but parents, most of them, are working. And some of us aren't, like myself, I'm not working, but I try to stay attuned at what's happening in my community. And I haven't recently because of health issues, but when I could, I would attend school board meetings and parent-teacher association meetings just to let the parents and the school know what was happening in the community and what was happening when children get out of school. That's just as important as what happens while they're in school, particularly in this horrific environment that we're living in politically and with the whole attempt to remove books as well as remove people, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, all of that is one comes under one heading as far as I'm concerned, and that is education and history. Um, I wanted to specifically speak about Donna and Danny's um, interview. It was excellent. I mean, you guys covered so much information. I don't know if there's a special or specific parent-teacher association for learning or otherly disabled or special ed students, but there should be. I have some experience with that in that I had family members who needed extra help and trying to get my own family member to recognize that her child needed help and that it was not anything to be ashamed of. We're all born with what we're given and we are all given a set of cards that we have to play. Some of us get a perfect deck. Others, their cards missing. Whatever the issue is, we can't be ashamed of our children before they even have an opportunity to get started. We need to be supportive of them. And then we also need to be as forceful as possible, short of physical violence, and letting teachers know 
that they aren't they don't have the last word about what happens to our children. There are many teachers who have positions, even special ed teachers, that don't they're not really interested in what happens to your child. They're only interested I'm sorry to say this, but it's the truth. They're only interested in the paycheck. I hated when I heard uh, as a kid growing up, those who can do and those who can't teach, that bothered me. I didn't understand it as a child and as a teenager, but as I grew and went into education myself, not all of us who go into education do that because we can't do anything else. Some of us actually do it because that's what we love. We want to share and pass on to others, not just the knowledge that we've learned and gained through experience, but we want to share that which we have studied. And my family member would not go and fight for her children. So I ended up being the person that the school would call if there was an issue. One of the children involved was in special ed and at times would become very unruly, not because he didn't want to learn, but besides having a learning challenge, he also had to deal with children who would pick on him, tease him because he didn't know or didn't learn as fast as the others. And that is something that happens across the board, but it's particularly egregious when it happens to children who are already struggling to grasp the situation in the classroom. And it becomes difficult for the teacher as well Teachers, as a teacher, even though I always taught at the higher education level, I spent a lot of time on the weekends tutoring high school, junior high and high school students in English. I also taught literacy, and I also worked with the ESL students. I did that because I wanted to. I got tired of seeing people who spoke a different language taken advantage of because they didn't understand the system. I learned in that process and in listening to Donna and Danny's stories about their children, that even when you speak English, you understand what is being said. Sometimes the administration and the teachers don't give the parent the opportunity to really say, this is what my child is capable of. Yes, my child has a challenge and needs extra attention, but to ignore that and dismiss it because it takes up too much time, that's not right either. And so your stories were extremely moving for me, and I honestly think everyone who sees the video or rather sees the podcast or hears about it, should listen to it. It goes beyond just special education. It applies in terms of any kind of disability that you might have. 
I have a brain injury. And sometimes there are people who they look, you can't look at me and know that I have a brain injury because it's not visible, but it affects my vision. It affects my voice. Today, tonight, I have clear voice because I got my injections this week, and that allows me to speak, and even I like the way I sound <laughs> because sometimes I don't. It's a real struggle, and just because I am struggling to speak doesn't mean that I don't have something to say. And that happens with special ed students. They are, my experience has been, they are very creative. They have a lot to offer us. But if we don't give them that few extra seconds or minutes in which to express themselves, we're not only cheating them, we're cheating ourselves and we're cheating the world out of the possibility that these young people could someday even become president. We don't have, when I say we, I'm talking about the world, but especially here in the United States, we don't value people who are different from us, from race to ethnicity to speaking different languages or who have different challenges. They have a lot to offer. So I just want to applaud you, Danny and Donna, and you also, Miss D, because the podcast, I think the more people who listen and truly listen to what's being said will open up other opportunities and other conversations. I don't know much about the National Learning Associations. I don't even know the titles anymore. But the point I want to get to is just like we have a regular PTA association meetings and school board meetings, I think there needs to be on the local level those opportunities for parents of special ed students or learning disabled students to come together, they are more likely to open up and discuss their challenges with one another and be open to others coming in and offering whatever assistance they can. The last thing I want to say is that all of us, if we have time, can volunteer and assist young people in whatever ways that we can. We, we each have different strengths. My strength may not be yours, and yours may not be mine, but together we can come together and provide a stronger support system for the students as well as the teachers, thereby making the whole community much stronger. Thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts. And with that, I will go back to listener. I don't know how to put myself back to listener. I'll so. put you back down. And I'm so <laughs> thankful that you came in and shared with us um, tonight um, and made some very, very wonderful sal salient points, of course, as always. And I love that you talked about um, that phrase, you know, those that 
that can do and those that can't teach and that there are some people who actually go into teaching because they love it, like people that go into nursing and other things because they love it. And um, I think um, that um, the video that I watched uh, that Stephen um, shared with me kind of spoke to that in a way, and he is going to be up next. And so I'm looking forward to hearing from him. Uh, him because there are sometimes a lot of false narratives that have been allowed to um, proliferate. Uh, and one of them that she, you know, attempts to debunk is the fact that like she gives the, t- the statistics of uh, the number of black educators in our system before Brown versus um uh, the board of it uh, and after, and they really are staggering. Like out of three point, um, you know, before uh, 1954 or around that time, there were 35 to 55 percent of um, in the entire teaching force, blacks made up 35 to 55 percent of that. Now today, there are. 3.2 million teachers and blacks make up less than 7% total. And of that, they, out of the, there are like um, 90,000 principals and blacks make up only 11% of the principals. There are uh, 13,800 uh, superintendents and blacks make up less than 3% of those. And, you know, this video really talks about how with the gains that we made with um, the board, um, with the Brown um, case, we lost a lot of things. And we kind of touched on that in our interview and our discussion with Donna and Danny, how kids, black kids got to go to better schools or to white schools and things, but black teachers didn't come with them. And that was designed on purpose, you know, and and we talked about that because they were like, okay, y'all are forcing us to bring the black kids into the school, but we don't have to bring, bring those black teachers. And, um, it really speaks to, again, how uh, we know that in those uh, classrooms and things, because those Black kids went into really foreign classrooms with teachers who were not aware of them and who really didn't care about them, um, the awful things that were done. I was part of that. um, As Dr. Carr says, we were like the first wave. I was part of that first wave, one of only three black kids in an all white school, didn't have any other black uh, um, kids come in or any black educator until I was in the third grade. And like, you know, the law was in place, but in the South, they were still taking their time transferring students little by little into that system, but they were not transferring the black educators. And it was by design and intent. Dr. Marshall, I know I've activated something, so I'm going to let you speak to that. And then Stephen. Yes. What I wanted to add to that is they put black students in schools like yourself, where you were one or two or three of hundreds, but they also took the best 
black teachers and placed them in all white schools. And in the reverse was to place lesser qualified white teachers in black schools. So the school, black schools, black communities not only suffered from having their child or children placed in schools where the teachers didn't care about them and didn't give them the kind of attention that they needed. They took away from the black school systems those teachers who were considered top among even the black teachers, leaving not lesser black teachers, but bringing in lesser white teachers. I went through the segregated system from elementary through junior high. And then in high school, I was in an integrated system because I moved to New York. The difference between how I was treated here versus how I was treated in my segregated school system was like night and day. My Which mom, that was in Georgia, right? Yes, I, I grew up in Georgia, went to school there, was in honors classes there, came to New York, going to high school. My mom insisted that they put me into honors classes. She gave them a, a verbal report of what I could do, what I had been doing, and said that my transcript was being sent by the school, which it was. It just didn't get there with me in my hand. So they accepted my mother's version of what I could do, placed me in honors, and then a couple of weeks would pass and they would put me into a general class. I'd go home, tell my mom what they did, mom would come back to the school. We did this for almost six to eight weeks. And when they finally got my um, records, they discovered that not only was my mother telling the truth, but I was already at the point where in New York, you have to take regents exams after you've finished uh, four years or depending on what the subject matter is, when you've completed it, you take these exams. I was already ready to take the exams in most of the classes because I went to school on Saturdays in my segregated school system, not because I had to, but it was offered. And like the person who worked at the library, I loved learning. The opportunity to go to school on Saturday and just learn. It wasn't about getting ahead of anyone. It was about competing with myself. So, yes, Brown versus the Board of Ed did a lot for us, but at the same time, it hurt us in other ways that continue to reverberate after all these many years. Well, thank you so much for that. And, and just to add to that, and then I'm really going to go to you, Stephen. But yeah, that's one of the points that Dr. Uh, Finwick made is that, um, as you said, they how they would put the best credentialed Black educators in uh white schools where there were no blacks and you know the black kids you know they were being integrated into kind of hostile environments and they didn't have really um the best teachers in those environments and what she pointed out which kind of i guess growing up i kind of always knew and sensed but to have her pointed out and have statistics and receipts to back it up was the fact that um always black educators by and large have always been more uh, credentialed 
um, than their white counterparts. And she said that that still exists today, that, you know, even in the segregated South, um, blacks would go to the HBCUs and go as far as they can, but then they would go, um, they would migrate to, she called it the educational migration. They would go to uh, universities that were integrated or allowed them in the North, like um, uh, in New York, Columbia, and in, uh, I think Iowa was another one that she named, and, and Chicago, and um, she named the universities that they went to, but they went there to get their master's and their doctorate, and these people were credentialed with those kinds of credentials teaching in the black schools um, and teaching, you know, from that experience and that perspective, providing the nurturing, but also having the qualifications. Um, and she told, uh, you know, she talked about Thurgood Marshall and of course his, his spite and, and what he did, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to let Stephen talk and, and let him cover it first because he shared it with me and then I'll kind of chime in there and, um, um, we'll continue. So, Stephen, please go. I, I just was so thrilled. Like I said, with that video, I can't. <laughs> I'm going to watch it again. Thank you, Dee. Thank you so much for the space and for having me. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Great. Mm -hmm. um, it really. I mean, that video really is like you. You know it as soon as you start listening. It's an encounter with greatness, and Dr. Carr is the intellectual heir to Carr G. Woodson. So, like, you get chills thinking about that and just seeing all the books in the background and his, all his YouTube videos and, and podcasts and things. He's just he's just loaded with knowledge and wisdom, and he, he shares it so clearly and beautifully. But thank you so much again, and to all of you for sharing the stories. It's really inspiring to hear. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, um, about that interview, but I, I'm going to frame it through the lens of leadership as well as the history that informs what's happening today because that's the takeaway for me. Um, and Republicans, we are seeing, have figured out something about power in schools and that there's tremendous power in leadership. Principals hold all the power, so when a parent comes to the door, the principal can shut that parent out. And that is a major factor in education. So trust in the school leader is so critical. And if you as a parent don't trust the school leader, run and find another option and there are other options so that's that's something i want to say and they've subverted the principles by going above them and taking over school boards and that's how they're amassing power by by uh, having these these really carpetbaggers because oftentimes they're not parents they, they say they're parents but they're not and they're they're bombing these meetings with um, so many voices that the school board feels pressured to then overrule the principal like the one that had to resign for a, an outrageous reason uh, that you put in the nest. So I want to talk about power and about leadership uh, because I have learned the hard way by being a bad leader uh, how important leadership is and, and growing in my leadership as a school leader. Um, something that Graham shared uh, a while back uh, is really relevant to this. It's a Scientific American study about how Republicans tend to view the world and humanity in terms of hierarchy. And that's juxtaposed with people who are in our camp who tend to look at the world in terms of fairness. So if you believe that there is a hierarchy among people, then your model of leadership is going to be focused completely on power. 
You have to dominate the people who are beneath you and keep them in their place. And that is the current model that is ascendant for leadership in this country. Even though uh, the, the schooling, you know, the kind of graduate schools and the theory is a different approach, that is the culture. And so that's what I found in navigating my, uh, the, my schooling as a student and then as a teacher and then tr trying to start my own school because uh, what I found was that sense of power is more important than anything else. And that is a complete reversal of the black intellectual tradition of schooling in this country, which is communitarian. And that's what's brought out, I think, somewhat in, in the video. But I also put in the nest a couple of um, resources. One of them is two books to help understand this educational philosophy and how it is communitarian and why it was so successful and powerful and why it engendered such a backlash which was, uh, you know, the typical thing is uh, black people in this country make gains and the backlash is 10 times more powerful and pushes, you know, pushes white supremacy, which is what happened after Brown, as they described. Uh, they met, uh, Dr. Fenwick mentioned James T. Anderson, Education of Blacks in the South. That was actually a uh, sequel that he wrote to Carter G. Woodson's book, uh, A Study of um, Education of Blacks Up to 1860. Um, and that will give you a sense of uh, what the segregated black schools were like. So essentially, black people were left alone to develop the schools they wanted. And they created powerful learning institutions that you were just talking about, Dee. They created a community-based uh, schooling system that was like a family. And it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't about power. It was about everyone sharing resources together and learning together. There was humility, uh, there was vulnerability, and there was trust. And that's why it was so successful. Um, and then the other book is uh, by Dr. Gar Jarvis Givens, who was just appointed to um, a full professor at Harvard uh, Education School. And his book is called Fugitive Pedagogy, and it's about the work of Carter G. Woodson. And he pointed out in this book that the um, children who went through those schools developed during segregation times grew up to become the civil rights leaders in the 1950s and 60s. So they had yes. their identity intact. They had a full understanding of what community meant to them and they had a sense of their history and they were able to bring that full force into the mainstream in America with their leadership. So that has been lost. And Yes, and she talked. Can I yeah, interject here just a moment, Stephen? I hope I don't not, make not you lose all. your place. <laughs> but yes, and she pointed out that it was very purposeful. Uh, they're keeping black educators out of the mainstream, newly integrated systems because these black educators, as I said, they were the front line. They uh, understood uh, the gains that had been made and civil rights and that. Um, informed their teaching. They were also um, forming um, coalitions. Um, they were forming NAACP uh, chapters and voting rights initiatives. So they did not want to bring that over into the white school. So that's another thing. Absolutely. Uh, and th there's more detail about that in, um, in the Jarvis Givens book, which is uh, what it was like before, <laughs> before Brown. He doesn't address Brown because Carter G. Woodson, you know, didn't, I don't think he lived to see Brown. 
Uh, I think he died in 1950. Uh, but it was uh, the what were the pillars and uh, and and I'm not saying that black people were just free to do whatever they want in schools because there was a white power structure. The whole idea of fugitive, fugitive pedagogy is that within this white supremacist structure, black educators found a way to create this environment I discussed a moment ago. Uh, they did things, they had to do things sometimes uh, on the sly, they had to do things uh, that were secret, it was kind of echoing the night schools from slavery times, and um, they survived, and they overcame that white supremacist power structure with their community. Um, I want to just mention one more uh, resource, which is if you ever come across information about the Oakland Community School, which uh, the Black Panther Party started in 1971 in California, um, and Erica Huggins, who's still alive, ran it for six or seven years, uh, that school is, to me, the best example of this philosophy of a holistic approach, a community-based approach, and whatever is needed, there were no barriers. It was just a completely open and uh, powerful and identity-affirming environment. Um, the best of all the resources were there, and they did it while they were being persecuted. So another amazing uh, resource that was, again, met with backlash and, and destroyed from, from outside. Um, another thing I put in the nest is uh, a podcast from Malcolm Gladwell, who um, you may or may not have strong opinions about. He seems to be a very polarizing figure. But this uh, episode... Uh, Miss Buchanan's period of adjustment what, is a nice introduction to the concept of the backlash to Brown. Uh, it's amazing storytelling, and he gives a lot of the details and the data and talks about why it's important that there are black educators for white children and black children based on research uh, and people of other races as well. So I would definitely recommend checking that out. Um, and then I want to just say one more thing about school, which is kind of a left turn, but I hope you'll see where it fits. Uh, I'm not a school leader anymore. I transitioned out after 17 years last year, and I'm exploring my next career, and my next career is probably going to be taking a, an educator lens to juvenile justice, because that is another whole area of our country where we see uh, human resources depleted and uh, wasted. Uh, we see young people who are um, have their lives ruined by uh, encounters with justice that if the color of their skin were different would just be speed bumps. So there is a, a, a new concept called an assessment center which comes out of justice and I've talked to um, uh, Mr. Khalil and Mark a little bit about this. The assessment center is a, uh, a community-based institution that is a public-private partnership with the intention of reducing the uh, number of encounters with young people have with the Justice Department in a locality. So the idea of incarcerating fewer people and preventing harm from happening when the first warning signs are there. And why am I bringing this up now in this space? Because it's the first time in my 24 years as an educator that I have seen a framework and a philosophy geared towards having schools actually stop the school-to-prison pipeline. The idea of this institution is that it's a community organization based on relationships with children and families that coordinates all the resources in that community so that when schools see that their children are having issues, they have a place to go to find every resource available to them in the community to provide to that family and keep them from going to the authorities. 
And this is uh, the, the slogan that I saw for a webinar next week is uh, connecting families and children to community instead of systems. This is a function of leadership. And leadership is the biggest crisis we are facing in education today. All of the problems that we've talked about, all of them come down to leadership. And as long as we continue to have leaders who put stop signs up for parents and who are not trusting parents, who refuse to be vulnerable themselves, admit when they're wrong, and welcome families in an authentic way into a school and meet them where they are, we're going to continue to have these problems. So um, I'll land my plane by saying that uh, schools are throwing away children, and when they encounter uh, the justice system, schools tend to just say, now he's your problem, not mine. And instead of partnering and saying, this is my precious child, and I will work with you until we've exhausted everything to support this young person. Um, and that is the leadership that's needed right now that we are sorely lacking. So I hope that in your communities, you are encouraging young people to go into teaching as a pathway to leadership, because we need more intellectual power. We need more uh, people who, with, with uh, potential and means and ambition and interest to enter this profession. It is such a downtrodden profession right now. It doesn't have to be. It's the best job in the world. With that, I'll land my plane. Thank you so very much, Stephen. Um, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, that sounds definitely like um, a model of education that uh, we uh, can adopt. And I would love to hear more about it and see, you know, what we can do um, to make that um, a uh, realization for our local communities. And, you know, it starts with the conversation, bringing awareness and pushing this. So I, I do want to hear more about it and learn more about those models, because, um, you know, I speak often about a model that, you know, has existed for a long time, but I see, I, I see it being carried out here in my community. And as you said, the uh, tendency <clears throat> and, um, you know, um, quickness at which they really want to throw kids away and they have these um, systems in place, you know, they label, Danny, Danny talked about that, labeling, you know, black kids, black boys in particular as aggressive and, you know, problematic and that's just the beginning and once enough labels and things go around, then they, so easy for them to push them off into detention centers, which leads to them being, you know, uh, pushed off into prisons. And these, this is happening, like in my state, and I know others where we really uh, have a um, industry that is counting on that kind of um, influx being fed, you know, on getting their customers basically from the school system, uh, detention centers and prisons, because we have one of the uh, nation's second largest private prisons um, right here at my back door. And I have seen, and, you know, I tell this story in the interview of a, of a local um, community where kids were put in detention center for merely watching a fight, not instigating it, not starting it, just merely watching it. So um, I am all for that. And we know that there are so many instances we probably see on many of our social media apps um, 
how kids are being mistreated in school. And uh, there is now this propensity for, you know, the answer for them for everything is more enforcement, enforcement. And the people who suffer from that enforcement are um, our children. They want more SRO officers. They want to arm teachers. It's just ridiculous. But um, I do want to hear some other voices. And I have uh, my um, co-host um, who is up with her hand up, Donna, and then LMZ. Looking forward to hearing from both of you. Donna, you go first, please. Um, <clears throat> yes, I wanted to um, ask Stephen um, how much has he listened to Dr. Carr? Because I've known about him for years. And um I know he and a group of others started the Philadelphia Freedom Schools, which were more or less like community schools. He also helped um, with the Sankofa schools, too. So, I, like I said, I've known about him for years. But one of the things that he said about the, you know, the education system and harboring kids, I call them harboring because I feel they, they're, they're setting them up as warehouses just to hold these kids until they age out where they can direct foul them. And I know that because my daughter works in that particular system. And that is really harming our kids. So you got the schools and the jails working in coordination. And that, that, doesn't, that is not promising for our kids. I'll land my plane. All right. Thank you, Don. I appreciate that. And, and that is so true. And we have to be aware of the ways in which they seek uh, to do this and are doing it. So um, up next, I have uh, my friend, LMZ. So glad you joined us tonight and um, looking forward to hearing from you. Good evening, Miss Danny. Good evening, Miss D. Thank you so much for letting me speak tonight. Um, it's very hard, actually, to come after Dr. Marshall and Stephen. I have to go ahead and say that in full disclosure. Very hard to follow um, both of those incredible voices and what they just um, gifted us. But I do actually have something to share in regards to Advocacy Arena based off of um, some things I'm aware of professionally. So I wanted to come up and share that. Um, I'm going to start it with one of my favorite quotes, which comes from the Honorable Frederick Douglass. And he said, quote, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And what we have right now in our country is um, a mental health crisis that is going on in our school systems across the country. And it's not a crisis that's going to come. It's not a crisis that's on its way. It's a crisis that is currently happening right now, every day in um, school systems across this country. And the Republican Party um, is doing everything that they can to dismantle public education. Um, many of you saw the quote that Lauren Boebert put out today on the House floor about not wanting the federal government to be involved with public school dollars. And then she said, but we're not there yet. But what she's aware of is that there is an actual real life attempt in red states, including mine, every day, so that funding tax dollars um, that fund 
the public school systems in our states are actually defunded because the Republicans want public schools to go back to a school voucher. They want, well, it's never been this way before. They want to resegregate schools and they want to resegregate based on race. They want to resegregate based on income. They want to resegregate back to or into a voucher program where basically um, they get to make the decisions of how and when and where and how, you know, why schools are funded. Um, and they are taking away all of the support systems that are needed for our children as we speak. That is why teachers are leaving the profession in droves, um, not because teachers are looking to be rich. If teachers were looking to be rich, they would have never become a public school teacher. Our country is not paying teachers what they are worth so that they can make a living and pay their bills and take care of their own families and their own needs and pay back their student loan debt, et cetera. School social workers, who I'm extremely intimate with, there are school social workers every day that have hundreds of students that have more than one school that they have to be responsible for. And there are school social workers with master's degrees in social work that are working second jobs because just like teachers, because they cannot afford, they are so underly paid for what they do. We are not funding. So that direct staff that is needed while there is a mental health crisis going on in our school is leaving in droves. The idea that any of these individuals took this path, whether it's to be a guidance counselor, a school teacher, a school coach, any type of trusted adult, to be rich is a fallacy and a, and a lie that the Republicans will put out there that somehow people are greedy to be asking for money, more money. That's not what it is. They cannot take care of their families. They cannot take care of themselves. They cannot pay their own bills. There are teachers and social workers on public assistance. Is there anything wrong with needing public assistance? Of course not. There's something wrong with needing public assistance if you're working full time um, in something as important as taking care of our children in the public school system. And I want it to be very clear that um, the Parental Bill of Rights that the federal government, the House just passed, and there's versions of it. The most famous one is, of course, the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida. There is absolutely one in the state of North Carolina. I'm sure there's one in Tennessee. Every red state you can think of has its own version. Um, red states are copying everything that DeSantis is doing. Um, so this idea, he gets the most attention for obvious reasons, but DeSantis has the anti-CRT bill. The anti-CRT bill already just passed in my state. It's already passed in North Carolina. So they're, they're passing the same types of things. But I want to say one thing about this don't say gay bill, which is the parental bill of rights. And there's some confusion around, I think, the impact that will have that somehow this is only going to impact children that are consider themselves LGBTQ or it's only for younger children or whatever the case may be. Let's be very clear about this. Children are extremely savvy. Children are extremely smart. What this bill does means that for the school children in our country where school is their, the one safe place that they have, 
And unfortunately, that is the story for many of our school children. Some school children have a great home life. I know that. But lots of school children don't. And so in some cases, school is the one place that they have a teacher, a school social worker, a coach on their favorite athletic team, an adult that they can trust, that they can share things with. So while it is imperative that any child who is a part of the LGBTQ community is is identifying as that, um, needs help and support with that, could be could get that from school, this is going to impact every single other child that is at risk and needs support from an adult. A child coming from a home with domestic violence, a child coming home from a home with substance abuse, a child that does not identify as LGBTQ, but is having their own struggles with depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideations. These children are going to learn very quickly that you cannot tell an adult anything that's happening at school, because if you do, they now, A, by law, are forced to tell your parents so children are not going to speak anymore or they're going to feel guilty and blame themselves because if they do trust that guidance counselor and they share something with a trusted guidance counselor and it comes out that the guidance counselor respected and did the moral thing and the ethical thing to not share that private information with the parents in my state, you're going to lose your employment and you're going to be fined $5,000. That, that's what's happening in North Carolina. So then school children are going to realize, I even if I want to tell you, I like Mrs. Smith, and I don't want her to get in trouble, lose her job, or have to pay $5,000 fine because of me. We are destroying children's mental health right now. So all of this anti-CRT bill, all of this don't say gay bill, um, all of these things that they're doing is to absolutely destroy the public school systems as we know it. Bobert just let it out, guys, today. She just let it out today on the House floor because she has loose lips. But what is happening is a crisis for our children. And I think everyone needs to be very, very aware with the increase of school shootings, with the increases of children committing suicide and suicidal ideations. If we do not have our schools as a place where children can feel safe for those hours, we have already failed them. And at some point, I do wonder, and I mean this sincerely, when are we going to be on trial, meaning as a country, for the crimes against nature, the crimes against humanity, the war crimes, the abuse that we put our children through, and the people that are making these decisions are paying to have their children in private schools that cost tens of thousands of dollars a semester. And so their children will never, ever ever be impacted by any of this. And with that, I will land my plane. Thank you so much, Miss D and Miss Danny, of course, for allowing me the space and the grace to speak in your space. Well, thank you as always, LMZ, for coming up and joining us and for, you know, sharing from um, your, um, you know, perspective, the um, mental health um, concerns um, that are, um, being visited upon our children 
with these antics. And so I uh, really appreciate you sharing that. I don't know if she just went down or, or we lost her, but Danny and Donna, if you would like to chime in on any of that. And then we have our old friend Destin in here, who I know is in the education field as well. So um, yeah. Uh, just one thing I wanted to say, yes, uh, the teachers or educators will be fined $5,000. And also in some states, I believe in the state of Florida, is a third degree felony. And of course, in like many red states, Florida, Tennessee, I think possibly Texas, if you are a felon, then you are a disenfranchised voter and you can't vote. This is another thing <laughs> that they are going in on so our children are not protected the teachers are not protected so it creates this chaos it creates this unbalance and this unsafety feeling that you have and now on what was it two days ago i believe it was um in denver there was another school shooting and that marked the two-year anniversary for the boulder shooting right and it's not stopping and so I, that's all I just wanted to add that in some states, it's also you're also hit with the third degree felony charge as well. Yes. And like I said, this all um, our um, education ties into our democracy and their assault on it is um, a direct tie to their assault on our democracy, because certainly they have been working very actively to strip us of our voting rights and uh, they do it in numerous ways, you know, and certainly slapping um, a uh, felony on someone is one quick and easy way for them to do this. And, you know, in some ways, uh, some of our population is disenfranchised very early in life uh, because of this. So thank you so much for pointing that out. And all, all of these things are very um, purposefully done. So my good friend, Destin, how are you? How are things in Kentucky? Are you keeping them straight? What's going on? Hey, girl. Well, I almost cussed everybody out at work today because, you know, I was on pettiness. But, you know, I'm be good. Because sometimes adults will run you out of the schools quicker than the kids will. Um, it's just a sad reality. Um, but my governor just vetoed SB 150. That is the cruelest LGBT bill in the country. It's don't say gay. It's all that mixed in, rolled into one. Um, but like I said in, I think the Shantae space the other day, um, regardless of if he vetoes it or not, the way the rules are in Kentucky, um, he either vetoes it in 10 days, he either signs it a law, or we have a clause that it will automatically go into law. Um, so he had very few options. But at the end of the day, there are 18 states that do not need a governor because they have super majorities. And like I just said the other day, Louisiana just switched to a supermajority in their state house because a Democrat finally switched over. Um, and he was the longest serving Democrat in Louisiana. Um, this is why those races are important. Um, also your school board races. But I understand the focus 
on K through 12 because it is it is rough right now. But the one thing that we have everybody always miss, and I yell at my party all the time, is we miss childcare because childcare for years we have lost childcare workers quicker than we are losing teachers. You can't find somebody who's willing to wake up and go work with kids that are six weeks old all the way to school age kids. So that means that people can't go to work. That means that these kids are missing out on nutritious meals. They're missing out on the structure that is needed for the classroom. They're missing out on basic skills. Um, Miss Buxton, she's one of our clerks at work, and she said, you know, you were the pettiest preschool teacher in the world. And I said, I did. But my kids, they knew how to write. They knew how to read. They knew how to depend on their self if need be, because sadly, we don't talk about how their parents work long hours. And if I can teach a kid how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a ham and cheese sandwich and so that they can eat while their parent is trying to sleep, I don't see nothing wrong with that. Um, we, and I joked when I was in childcare, I was like, these little rag CDAs, <clears throat> which I feel like they're a deplore to give just money because um, I feel like these people, we should be treating child care workers just like we teach teachers. We should be treating them all better because at the end of the day, these people stay with your kids longer than sometimes you do if you have to work long hours. Um, but I always joke that we were going to have to fill in for teachers and Sadly, we are on that track. Um, and I know people always talk about teachers because those are the most visible people. But we also have to remember the people in the background. We are losing cafeteria workers at an alarming rate. We're losing custodial staff at alarming rate. We're losing front office staff. We're losing assistants. I know my district had six, no, 200 vacancies just in instructional assistance. So these people are teacher's aides. So they help out the young, like preschool and kindergarten, and some elementary schools. But a lot of their focus, and some states call them paraeducators. That's the fancy title. But these people also help our kids with special needs. They also have to change them sometimes. They have to feed them. I mean, these people are on the front lines constantly, and bless, we have three of them, and I give them props all the time because they get beat up. Two of them should be able, they're, they can retire whenever, and they're physically not able to handle being beat up or because those kids are strong. We, we, we forget that those kids, they might have disability, but they're strong. And they're also dealing with a lot more because a lot of their homes are 10 times way more broken because they don't have that support system um, a lot of times at all. And so, and I literally, there was a kid who was giving Miss Lisa a problem. And I said, girl, just go to the room. I got this. I said, you know, I'll get him to class. And I did. 
He cracks me up. He's a hot mess. But his teacher reamed him a new one, but she did it in sign language. And before she even could ream him, though, he said sorry. He was quick because he knew. And I'm all, I am always tell people, no matter if they have a disability or not, kids know when they mess up. And they know when people are treating them different. And they know when they're excelling in learning. Um, I literally kept a kid out of class today because he's playing flag football. But the coach don't play with him. He's one of our math teachers. Education comes first. And so if if I can pull a kid out and they can get all their work caught up and they're not failing, I would rather do that. Now, does that take a time away from me spending tons of money that schools don't have? Yes. Because my school has an operating budget of $3.1 million and we can only spend a hundred and seventy thousand on kids, which when you start talking about buying tissues copy paper pencils honey we we have no money like when you fill trips for buses um all that good stuff so it doesn't come out of the parents pockets because buses now are 225 dollars off top yeah um, and now these voucher schools are taking away the 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 little money that you know these schools exactly <laughs> If anybody's seen, I think it's in Florida, this charter school is making a big deal about Michelangelo's picture and how, you know, it shows nudity. And in Kentucky, in our horrible law, they can literally take that out of the curriculum like that parent did, but they also can take out slavery if they don't feel comfortable with their kid doing it, the Holocaust. It doesn't matter what topic. And I joked because our math teachers were standing there and I said, what if I feel comfortable with my kids learning two-step equations? And they looked at me and they're like, I guess we won't be teaching it. I said, I guess you won't. But, you know, this is why I always say it's important to show up to city council meetings, school board meetings, county government, state legislature meetings, because you would be surprised when right. you fill a room that these people have to see you, they're not going to listen to you because we all know that, but they will see you. Yes, um, and they will know that there are people out there who are, are concerned and who are, you know, raising voice um, and doing what they can and that they can't do this in silence with no pushback. Like we may not always be successful in stopping some of their antics, but we can let them know that um, we see their antics and that we're we're going to be busy. It may take us a while, but we are going to be busy trying to do that. And Dustin, if you will kind of um, um, wind it up, stick a pin in it, you don't have to go. I'll come back to you. But I have a few more people who um, would like to speak. And we'll have a new guest in here who is in education that I'd like to hear from as well. So um, I'm going to let you uh, kind of finish up there and we'll come back to you. And I'm so glad that you joined us tonight. Well, they can go. You know, I do not mind. I am about to put in attendance because we don't have an attendance clerk. So the bookkeeper has to put in attendance and I will not begin paid to put in attendance. But that is what we have to do to make money. So just make sure you thank a person who works in education who does something in childcare because 
they are totally defeated and your thank you could be the determining factor of them not retiring because we cannot afford to lose one more person. Um, Just let you know. Thank you for saying that, Dustin, and you're absolutely right, because we know that all the things that w- uh, went on during the pandemic, there was an assault on healthcare workers, an assault on uh, educators and people, you know, in those systems uh, writ large. And a lot of it caused um, um, a lot of people who are like close to retiring and whatever to go ahead and make that determination. So we had a big talent drain and um, many of these laws and things that they are putting into place are causing talent drains in the worst kind of way. I talked about what's going on here in my state. You know, these um, anti-abortion laws and things are causing a huge talent drain on the healthcare uh, workers here. Our OBGYNs are leaving and others who may have thought about coming are like, nah, I, I think not. There, there's some other places I can go. But thank you so much. And Donna, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And then I want to hear from our new um, speaker. Um, and I don't, Demetra, um, I hope I pronounced your name right. You can correct me when um, after Donna. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. So Miss Donna, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to say, yes, Dustin, I agree with what you're saying. My grandson is in uh, preschool. And when he first started in pre-K this year, he's had three teachers already. Three. So I I get it. But like I said before and in the um, interview, what about kids who don't have the resources and stuff that I am fortunate enough to have for my grandson. His teacher said if he had, if she had a whole class full of kids like him, her job would be a breeze. But that's because I, myself, my mother, my brother, we all work with him to make sure that he stays where he is and excels. But my question I ask, what do we do about those who don't have those resources? And that is why we're here, because we know, like I said, I am going to advocate for mine and those around me that I love and that I can help. But I know that for every one of them, uh, there are I don't know how many hundreds of others who need that help and that advocacy and don't have it. How do we fix that? And we, we talked about that, Donna. So thank you for continuing to ask that question, because, again, that is why I am, you know, doing what. I am doing because I've, I've found this to be true, not only in education, but in healthcare as well. Uh, advocating for others is very, very important because some people don't have the resources to have anyone advocate for them. So I, uh, again, just want to give you and Danny um, kudos, hats off to you for being such great advocates for your kids and and for others, you know, and I feel like what you do can be an inspiration and a guide for others because I know that your story is one of thousands in this country, which is why I wanted you to tell it. I want us to keep amplifying. Can anyone else hear Ms. D? Because she went out for me. 
No, I can't I'm hear I'm sorry, either. I just had a phone call that came oh. in. Um, Ms. Dimitri is up next, okay. <laughs> Greetings, um, thank you for, for having me up and thank you for the space. Um, I dropped in because because uh, of Stephen, I follow Stephen and I saw he was in here and uh, I respect his opinions and advocacy and, and viewpoints. So uh, I, I figured I'd drop in and I'm glad that I did because um, it definitely feels like, seems like a space that um, that I would love to be in. Um, I am an education consultant. Um, I just moved to Nashville, Tennessee from Las Vegas, Nevada. I am a manager of resident development with the Nashville Teacher Residency, which is just a fancy way of saying I help to find and um, train and retain uh, new teachers who are looking to come into the field. Um, so obviously, you know, the work that I do with NTR um, is directly applicable to this conversation. And on the education consulting front, um, my agency schooled um, advocates for and, and helps families, communities, nonprofits create student-centered approaches to learning, which I think is a huge piece um, connected to uh, to some of the critical thinking that we want our, our students to be able to develop around some of these policy changes and laws um, that are going on in, in some of our more conservative states. Um, I think the piece that really um, spurred me to come to the stage was actually Dustin. Um, I wanted to uplift and amplify some of the things that he, he was talking about. Um, I've been in education for nearly 20 years now. And I have, I have not ever seen uh, a time at which educators are so completely exhausted, um, demoralized, uh, lacking energy, will. Um, and I, I don't want to generalize this for everyone because um, everyone's experience is different. But this, these are some very interesting times for educators. And when I say that, I'm not talking about um, like new teachers that I, I might be working with directly through uh, NTR. I'm talking about um, teachers that I've coached and I'm coaching currently that are it, have been in this field for more years than I've even been in the field, who are saying the things that I've done in the past before COVID are, not, are no longer working. The interventions that I'm, uh, I'm used to doing that are research-based are no longer working. Um, and so I say that to say that a lot of my coaching with teachers has been around mindset um, and helping them to sort of realize that the things that we know do work are just going to require more time than they did before the pandemic. Um, speaking specifically to our ECE educators or early childhood educators, and I call them educators. Um, I know Dustin, like there's, there's, you know, some, sometimes there's a difference between, you know, the straight uh, childcare and the ECE educators, but to me, all of them are one and the same. They are educating around social emotional skills um, in preparation for our kids to go into um, into the, the the classroom, right? And so our ECE educators are specifically seeing um, and feeling the the burden of the pandemic because a lot of the kids who are now three three and a half years old are the ones who were born into this pandemic and um, did not necessarily have a normal toddler years um, like our ECE kids of the past. Um, 
And so I encourage anyone who, you know, is in contact with an ECE educator and or a teacher um, in the K-12 space um, to just take, take, take one of them, take one under your wings. Um, Teacher Appreciation Week is not until May 9th and any good school leader, I've been a school leader in the past, any good school leader knows that that is way too late to be showing appreciation. Um, And so identify one educator, ECE educator or K through 12 teacher in your community, um, in your neighborhood school, be it public charter, public uh, district, private school, parochial school, identify one of them because regardless, they're all working with the children in our communities. And commit to writing a note to them, commit to picking up an extra coffee for them, commit to doing something, I would say at least once a week, because they are struggling. They are struggling. And specifically for those who are in Tennessee, um, Kentucky, uh, Florida, some of the states that we've been talking about tonight, many are getting burnt out, like Justin said, not necessarily just because of increased um, student needs, but because of these policies and because of the macro and micro regressions that they have to face every single day, going into the classroom, trying to do the work, right? Um, I am particularly sensitive to this because I dealt with it as a school leader, um, trying to make sure that you are bringing a culturally relevant curriculum to all students, regardless of their background. I got tons of pushback. Um, so much so that that in combination with the pandemic, I had to take a, a sabbatical um, in 2021 to preserve myself because I know that this is a field that I want to be in long term. And I knew that the pressures, the stress coming from these political conversations, right, were taking a toll on my mental, emotional and physical actually health. So I, I had to take a sabbatical and I'm, I've come back more grounded Um, because of that. And so I say, I didn't have the support that I needed, right? If I had the support that I needed um, in some of those battles, I probably wouldn't have had to do that. Um, And so I'm just telling you like an extra, an extra text message, an extra note, um, an extra coffee, an extra, you know, sandwich at lunch. These things seem really small, but they actually go a very, very, very long way um, for teachers. Every day is a struggle. Every day is a struggle. So if you can take one under your wings, I encourage you all to do that. Um, The second thing that I wanted to uplift in connection to this, um, I just retweeted an article um, by Bettina Love that came out this week. And hopefully um, you all will have a a moment to read it at some point over the weekend. Um, But the fight, the struggle that our teachers of color are are in particular having is what she sort of uh, writes about in this uh, opinion piece. Um, and so as we think about how some of the um, the political conversations, the, um, the policies are sort of changing in some of the states that we're talking about tonight, we also have to be very critical about how we go about continuing to recruit teachers of color in particular, knowing that these things are happening. And we have to be really, really clear on the districts in our states that are in that middle ground, that middle, that middle space that like it will be somewhat safe, moderately safe. And we have to keep it real and be honest about some of the districts where we really probably shouldn't be putting some of our people. 
right? We shouldn't be putting some of our people in some of these spaces that we know they are going to be, um, for lack of a better word, like tortured, right? Um, and, and figuring out how to strategically um, encourage and, and place our teachers of color specifically in places in our states where we know that they'll have the most impact. Um, and so that goes back to, again, what Justin was talking about, making sure that we're being involved on a local level. Um, you know, if you, you're, you don't necessarily have to run for school board, but at least knowing what's happening, going to the meetings every now and then if you can. Um, and I think the other way that we can help support our teachers in this battle is uplifting some of their concerns to school administration, right? Um, because I know, I know as a school leader that there's a lot of things that, that are happening in the school building and sometimes your priorities get and your focus kind of gets, gets thrown off, right? You're dealing with the budget, you're dealing with facility issues. Um, and sometimes that thing that the teacher is, is needing, that the teacher is wanting, isn't, doesn't come up as the priority. But when parents, when community members come to, come to the office, when they start making those phone calls, when they start sending those emails, and it's in alignment with the same thing that the teachers are talking about, I know for a fact that that, that will help to change some of the conversation and will help to uplift some of the things that teachers are worried about, particularly around, um, you know, book bannings and, um, and uh, some of the policies that we've been discussing tonight. I'm going to um, yield the mic now. I've, I've spoken long enough. I just want to thank you for holding the space. Well, I want to thank you for coming and joining and sharing with us. And I'm looking forward to uh, getting to know you and maybe getting involved in some way uh, with some advocacy in real life here. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm just overjoyed to know that you've moved here to Nashville and and do the work that you do. And I uh, am uh, really pleased again, as I said, that you shared uh, with your time your time with us this evening to listen and to come up and, and share. So Dustin has raised his hand again, and we're going to be uh, getting close to our wrap-up um, time. And I certainly want to give both of my co-hosts an opportunity to share uh, more with us before we close out and any uh, extend an invite to anyone who is listening in the gallery to come on up and um share with us, add to the conversation, we uh, welcome you. So, Dustin, go ahead. Well, I'm glad you mentioned about people of color and also LGBT people about applying to certain school districts, because like I always tell people, I would have got my degree a long time ago if I never got fired the first time for being gay, because um, we don't have those conversations, and that's why I drive 10 hours to work because of that a week um which is horrible but i mean that that's what you can do and also remember that you should hold your superintendents accountable my superintendent said there are only six black people he thinks is worthy enough to be assistant superintendent which i think that is bs um because I also know there's Asian people and Hispanic people and other people who can also do those roles too. Fayette County is our second biggest school district. And they picked a guy because he can speak articulately. Um, and he's gay. But now we know he is a Republican. 
and he's firing a principal of an all-black boys' school who increased their enrollment by 300%, has zero turnover this year versus last year, and they're replacing him with a white woman because he ran for state rep as a Democrat, which is ridiculous. Um, So this is why that conversation, holding admin and... You know, accountable is a big thing. And Miss Donna, my thing is when people like you ask that question is we have to bring back the villages that used to exist because you don't know how much because communication has always been key. That is why in childcare, parents have a better relationship with the staff because they constantly communicate. I still get pictures from my kiddos who are in middle school now, you know, or, you know, I will go show up. I'll be like, send me their schedule and I'll show up to a baptism or a game. And they'll be like, oh, you came to my game? Yes, because that is what we're supposed to do. But if you take a family that's under your wing that is struggling, talk to them. Because I always tell my parents that what might work in your house might work in somebody else's and what doesn't work might work in somebody else's house so that is why i always try to tell parents to have play dates with kids in the class because we also don't know where the background so that might help out somebody hell you might find them a job that's better off than where they're at um with kids my age i literally just bought baby powder the other day because the kid was like i was like why are you that's water did you sit in something he said no my butt's sweating i said oh well we're about to fix that problem or i smell onions and you know i can't do the smells even in daycare i couldn't do the whole smells what did i go do get him deodorant because at the end of the at the end of the day his grandparents could have bought it for him but he didn't feel comfortable enough talking to them about those issues And we have to normalize that we have to communicate with kids, too. I understand they're a hot mess, and some of them are rude and disrespectful, but sometimes they need a hug, and sometimes that could change their outlook. Um, Just like I told the one who stayed in my office all day, I love you to death, but you need to get shit together, and I'm always going to be here for you, but I'm not going to be here for you if you're going to fall apart. And then after you fall apart, though, I'll help you pick yourself back up because sometimes we need to let kids fall on their face and help them build themselves up in a better way than where they started instead of yelling at them, always constantly downing them. Because this generation is it is a knuck if you but <laughs> plus emotional one like LMZ was talking about. There are school districts where there are social workers who are not making anything. Sadly, my school district pays more, so my social workers make more than state social workers. Um, and we do have disparities where we have teachers making 27000 in the mountains of Appalachian when they first start, and they make 43000 in Louisville, which is the biggest school system in the state. You can't survive on none of that, especially if you started with a family young or you were taking care of of other family members because we forget that people are living in multi-families now 
that granny might be staying because it's cheaper for them or you are staying at granny's house because it is cheaper for the whole family and granny can watch you best way possible because now granny gotta go back to work or grandpa whoever because that's just the way that society is um but yeah make sure you reach out to any educator bus driver custodian that is possible because I always, even I tell my kids, the people that we, I made friends with in school, yes, were individual kids. But I made sure I was nice to the cafeteria workers because I got extra, you know, no-bake cookies from Miss Gladys. The custodians always let me take their keys and get in whatever room because I helped them. I picked up stuff. I did what I was supposed to. You use your manners. And every teacher knew I was ratchet and petty. But they knew that when I was in that class that I would not be that, <laughs> I wouldn't be that student. But if I wasn't, you know, but that's what we have to do to our kids. Sometimes you just have to create your own village and grab somebody. And if that is the only way to do, and like I got on the football boys, I said, let me tell y'all something. My job as a bookkeeper is spend money, but I'm not going to spend worthless money if y'all ain't going to use it adequately. So that means you need to keep your grades up. You need to do your best. I said, you're going to win some games. You're going to lose some games, but your job is to encourage each other. And we have actually seven girls on our flag football team. And one of them, she's a bigger girl. She's a sixth grader. And I looked at her one day after their first day of practice. And I said, honey, let me tell you something. Your size. I said, you are a beast. I said, you just need to learn your fundamentals. I said, you need to get in shape like everybody else. But honey, you are going to go somewhere. And you never know. You might play D1 in football because she is a beast. Literally, hands down, so still smiles and tackles people. Like, she is <laughs> a beast. And she was thinking about quitting. But she didn't quit because I told her that. And I told her mama that, I mean, I told her mama, I said, she is, she is killing it out there. And she's like, are you for real? I told her, I don't know if I want to do it. I said, girl, don't be telling these kids that they can't do something. Let them figure it out first. Let them finish the season. Like it or not, they can try something else, but never tell them that they can't. And working in a school where we hear bullets outside, and I literally see a prostitute a couple of weeks ago, butthole naked, a block from the school walking. Sis was making her money. I mean, these this is what our kids are around. And, you know, we have to be the light in the dark. And sometimes my country ratchetness in the city, I guess <laughs> it works. But, you know, but I do have a Pop-Tart fun because... They eat me out of house and home with candy and everything. So you know. <laughs> I bet they do. And we, we are glad and happy for your wretchedness, uh, uh, Dustin, because we know that it's in love, that you care. And it's it's just, for me, always heartwarming to, um, to hear you speak, to know that um, there are educators like that um, out there and that you continue to encourage your kids, encourage others, and that, you know, you also are are trying to uh, make a difference in the political realm. Because even if you didn't, just for me in certain professions, certainly educating or whatever, you're doing your part because you guys are helping to um, train uh, and, and guide our future leaders. 
Um, but the fact that um, you are seeking to be actively involved as a leader and a lawmaker uh, always warms my heart. I want to continue to encourage you in those efforts. And again, thank you for coming and, and sharing with us tonight. Um, and uh, we hope to have many more conversations around this. This is just the beginning. Um, so I want to give an opportunity to all of those who are now on the stage, um, an uh, opportunity to have some final thoughts, to share some final thoughts and words with us. I uh, was hoping that my um, other sometimes um, co-host Ngazi could come in tonight, but she had something on her schedule uh, and she may show up before we leave, but she is a voice that I would love to have in this conversation as um, like um, LMZ and others in here. She works in the field of um, sociology. She is a, a school-based therapist, and this is certainly something that we need. And I love it that she is a young Black woman. This is her calling. She loves it, and we need people like that in this space because I, I Demetri, I heard you talk about, um, you know, just um, kind of verifying that the children that were born in the pandemic have special sort of set of circumstances that they're navigating and dealing with. And my granddaughter was one of those who actually started school in the pandemic. Can you imagine starting kindergarten, doing kindergarten virtually, where you learn your, you know, social skills along with, you know, starting to get used to sitting in your seat and all of those things. And, you know, she had to do all of that sitting in front of a computer in our my living room. So, um, you know, it, it's been a challenge and, you know, we still keep working to overcome some of the setbacks that I know were caused just by that period. And then the other ones that are already there and the ones that are being placed there because of the active assault on our education. So again, I want to thank all of you for coming out and sharing um, with us tonight, um, whether you came up to the stage to actively join in the conversation or you were in the audience um, actively listening. Um, I appreciate it all. It matters. And I want to, um, again, like I said, give um, Joseph, you're still up here, Joseph, Dr. Marshall, and uh, then uh, Steve and um, uh, Dimitri, an opportunity for some closing words in that order, if you would like. And then my co-host, uh, Donna, and Danny and Geechee, I see you down there. If you want to come up and share with us, you can. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Okay, thank thank you, Ms. D. Uh, wow, well, just what a what a wealth of information from from everyone. Uh, it was just such a, a wonderful exchange of of ideas on the you know the challenges that the that the education community is facing right now, what our kids are facing right now. And yeah, I, you know, uh, I had so many thoughts going at once when I was speaking earlier, I forgot to mention that even though I don't have any kids, I have two nephews that are in school right now. My, my older nephew is 13 and my younger nephew is seven and you know they're in, and they're in public school, and uh, fortunately they're in a they're in a good uh, a good 
school district. I think um, the school district that they're in, fortunately, is not in in any danger of being taken over by these extremists. But still, you know, I I care very much about their education and that and that, you know, they're receiving a quality education and that they're learning all the things that they're supposed to be be learning. And, you know, that will when it comes to learning history, that they will learn history as it was meant to be taught, meaning the entire story, not things that are, you know, whitewashed or covered up or anything like that. So, you know, because, you know, I, I, I want them to be successful in their, in their adult lives. So yes, I, I think, you know, I'm, I thought about Dr. Marshall's words very seriously that, you know, yeah, even though I don't have kids, I think it is important for me to, uh, probably speak up a little bit more because after all she you know she's right you know my taxes do go to local school boards and things like that so I want to make sure that the kids in my community are getting the appropriate education even though I know I don't have any kids but my taxes are paying are are paying into it so uh, yes it is important that uh, you know that I care about that my local school boards are not being taken over by by extremists. So um, again, just a very, very enlightening conversation with with everybody. So I'll land my plane there. Thank you again, Ms. D, for giving me the opportunity to uh, to speak and for giving me the opportunity to spend part of my Friday night with you all. And uh, I'm sure we will speak again very soon. All right. Well, thanks so much, Joseph. We appreciate you, Dr. Marshall. Uh, Yes. um, It's been a great space. I've learned so much, and it's so affirming to hear everyone share what their education experience is like. The one thing, excuse me. The one thing I wanted to add was if you have books, particularly books on African-American history or literature, or I'm not sure if they're using the word Latinx or Hispanic or any ethnic books that you aren't using, aren't reading, I find that young people are really Um, hungry for information about themselves or about their culture. I have been going through my books so that I can give some away. I have, um, when I was working with high school students in the SAT program, I found that there was just so much information that they weren't getting in school in part because it simply wasn't being taught, in part because it's not in the textbooks. And the other part of that is parents don't have the money. Books are really, really outrageously expensive, more than they should be. Um, so if my, my last, you know, suggestion And recommendation is that if you have books that you think young people would be interested in, even if it's just perhaps starting a little book club with your child and a few of their friends, you'd be amazed at how much interest there is among young people who want to know. Um, And 
it's another way of not finding books in the garbage. I hate the idea of um, when I pass along the street and I see books just stacked up. Because if they stay out in the weather too long, they're not usable to anyone. And it's just a crime. <laughs> I love reading. And um, I have, I even, the idea that I still want to buy books makes me angry with myself because I can't afford it, number one. But I love to read. And I just want to read as much as I can. I don't have space to put another book in my house. I even have books in storage that I'm planning to take out because they're not benefiting anybody, including me. So please give your books away to people who need them and want them. Boys and girls clubs, churches have um, programs for young people and there's just so much that we can do that won't cost as much as we think it will. Give of your time and yourself as we do here in this space. Thank you to each of you who have shared and continue to enlighten all of us. Peace and love to all and a good night. Thank you so much, Dr. Marshall. And we always love um, it when you are able to come and share um, you know, things with us, your wisdom, um, and certainly in this area, you have much uh, that we can learn from. So thank you for taking the time out tonight to come and share with us. And um, I, too, have a love of books and learning. So I hear you about them, you know, seeing books and, and, and not liking that. So I can relate to that. So up next, we've got Steve, then Demetra, and uh, then uh, Kichi. And I'm going to give my co-host an opportunity. Thank you again, Dee. Thanks for the great space. Really amazing uh, set of speakers and information to share and exchange. Um, I, I hate to be uh, usurping the host duty, but I really want to hear Mr. Khalil's response to all this, too. So I'm just saying, I don't want to make this space go all night, but would love to hear Mr. Khalil. Um, well, Khalil, Brother Khalil knows he is always welcome Uh Yes, he is in there, like I said. Um, he is always welcome. And, and if you would like to come up, Khalil, please do. Always love to hear from you. So Sometimes I hear and Mr. <laughs> Khalil say, um, you know, you may think this is a new thing you're talking about, but, you know, what's old is new again. And this was happening 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever it was. So that perspective is always needed to keep us grounded and sane because some things that are happening today in education feel unprecedented, but... You know, as I was saying before about the backlash, the, the patterns are always there. And if we look closely and look, take a, take a step back at the same time, we can see the patterns and understand what may be coming next. So as with, you know, education and everything else, um, past this prologue, history matters, you know. So, Amen. yes. And some of these things are are definitely not new. And that is, again, why I kind of continue to have the spaces and the conversation so we can connect those dots from history to what's going on currently, because uh, some of it is so easy for us, many of us like Khalil and I, who have lived a few decades and Dr. Marshall, you know, we, we see the pattern really you know, immediately, and others who may not be quite as old, it's awful, and they feel like it's, you know, new, and the first time they've tried these things, and, and I like 
that we are able to show them like this happened before and um, we overcame it. So it is important uh, because we are in kind of um, a uh, very, very um, crazy time in our country, in our democracy, a very dangerous time. We've been here before in our history. It's important for us to, to know that and to know that there is hope. So thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, and again, can't thank you enough. I'm going to watch that video again tonight before I go to bed because that was just so fabulous. Can I just mention two more things I put in the nest? One from earlier is um, I met Demetria through the community around a, a podcast called Eight Black Hands, which is also how I learned about Dr. Carr years ago. And they uh, put together a, um, a guide for parents, educators, and community members uh, with their recommendations from their decades of experience on how to approach uh, amassing power for education and supporting the children in your life. It's called On Code. There is a, um, a tweet in the nest somewhere in the middle there. And then I just uh, posted a link to the uh, event I talked about next week from the Youth Justice Institute in New York, which is introducing assessment centers uh, to prevent schools from throwing away children and throwing them to the justice system, which we know is happening and feeding that pipeline that you talked about, D, as children as commodities for the mass incarceration industry. So thank you again, I'll land my plane and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak. Well, thank you again, Stephen, I appreciate it. And like I said, we hope to have more conversations um, around this issue and I hope that you um, and the others who are uh, here will be a part of it. I hope that you guys will share and retweet this space. I certainly think there was some great information and resources given that we can go study, learn from, and come back and have more conversations around. So um, up next, we've got Dimitri. Thank you again so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Steve, um, for mentioning uh, the on-code um, that the Blake Eight Black Hands put together. Um, I definitely would recommend people check that out. Um, one last thing that I just wanted to share, and I'm not sure if it came up earlier in the conversation since I wasn't here the whole time, but there was a Supreme Court case this week um, in favor of a student who um, was deaf. And I, I just wanted to point that out because I hope everyone kind of goes and finds an article or two and reads up on it. Um, it is a reminder that we do have this thing called the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act, um, short for IDEA. And a lot of, a lot of our, our, our districts um, are not necessarily doing what they're supposed to be doing to make sure that our students who have IEPs or 504s are getting the services that they need. Um, it is more common than not that I run into teachers out in the field, whether it be new teachers or even uh, veteran teachers who do not know the students in their classrooms that have IEPs and 504s. And if you don't know who those students are, you don't know what their goals are. If you don't know what their goals are, you cannot appropriately scaffold and plan for them um, and create and, and implement the modifications and accommodations that are supposed to go along with their plans, their individualized plans. This is a huge problem, a huge problem. Um, and I, I hope that, um, you know, as folks are continuing to, to do their advocacy, that they're remembering students who fall into those categories, because these are the same students that 
Uh, when we talk about the prison, um, the school to prison pipeline, a lot of the students who are pushed through that pipeline are students who have uh, needs that are not being met in the classroom. So um, just wanted to uplift the Supreme Court case with the deaf student who uh, that case fell in the student's favor. Um, and thank you again for the space. I appreciate it. Dee, let's connect. Dustin, anyone else um, who'd like to connect? I'd love that. Thank you so much. And thank you for mentioning that case. It is in my timeline. And later, I will go back and add it to the thread of the space, uh, because I do recall that. And it did uh, warm my heart to see that um, in this instance, um, you know, the law um, worked uh, to uh, and it was upheld. And that is how we got, you know, where we are now, where, you know, integration and some other things, it was through, um, you know, people like Thurgood Marshall and others, um, you know, exercising the law. And, and um, so we're going to have to use it because they certainly like to use it against us. And, um, you know, this is not about education, but the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, uh, what's going on with the, um, Manhattan DA and, um, you know, the um, House GOP trying to usurp um, his authority. Uh, they got schooled um, with the law um, and, you know, told how they were really, you know, breaking precedent in the law because they like to refer to themselves as the party of law and order. But we know that it's more or less rules for thee, but not for me. And they are quick to ignore the law or change the law to their benefit. So again, I'm just overjoyed to have you here and to have these conversations. And um, up next is my friend Gichi, who has joined us. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from him. And then I'll go to my um, other co-host. Then I have sent Khalil an invite, but he may be otherwise engaged or busy. So I um, understand, but he knows he is always welcome to speak and we always love to hear from him. So Gichi, you're up next. How are you? I'm good. Um, I am stunned. I am shocked. I am shellacked. I am just stuttering. I obviously I, I got the invite, you know, and I'm looking and I'm like listening. And then like 10 minutes in, I'm just listening more and like 45 minutes in, I'm listening more. And I am just like, it is a Friday night and I am getting stimulated and I am learning so much about an issue that I know is so vitally important. And it is a good thing that I can like be on a platform and listen to a very well moderated space. So I want to give a shout out to Dee and to Danny, my sisters, for making sure they put this thing down. But it's also the ability to hear from so many people in a sector that is vital to the existence and survival of this country and to compete with other continents, with other nations, with other industries from this point forward. And I am just, I don't have words. I just, I really don't have words. I am so thoroughly impressed, but it is always a good thing that where you can sometimes just sit down and listen because it's a topic that you don't have a lot of understanding of or you don't have a lot of education of or you don't have a lot of experience of and listen to people that are in that industry. B, 
be it from the top levels to entering into that industry and the people that are actually doing the work to educate the kids in our country. And I am the teachers that are in here. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of the administrators. I'm just in awe of what you do, your professionalism, the ideas that you're coming up with, and the plans and solutions that you've offered that can make these things better. And for the young woman that even does this work and also was talking about this for people that um, were disabled or had differing abilities, uh, God obviously created you because you're an angel. I don't have anything to offer as far as suggestions or anything. I am just going to be blessed. I'm going to listen and I'm going to be blessed by this further conversation. And I hope there are more conversations on education that we can get the opportunity to hear from more people in the collective, the KHI, whatever we're calling ourselves, that are educators, that are administrators, or just parents and what you're dealing with, having to deal with these crazy ass people on the right. And I just want to sit back and listen. So again, I'm going to sit back and listen, and I am going to enjoy and get entertained and get nourished from this information. I thank y'all for this. Oh, and it's also good to hear Miss Donna, because you know she's really smart, but she'd be hiding out in them shadows, not giving us that information that we know that she has. So I want to give a shout out to Mama Donna and also to um, Mama uh, Marshall, because y'all are doing the thing up here too. And I guess Joseph, Stephen, and Dustin are adding something, but you know, I'm, I love them too. They're my friends too. I know you just had to throw some shade. It had Ola. to be done. <laughs> thank you so much, Geechee, and thank you for coming up. And I am glad that you were inspired and informed by this conversation. I hope that others were, um, because, like I said, I was um, inspired. You know, from the interview that I did with uh, Danny and Donna and then resources that I uh, were I was investigating and, and people were sharing with me, like Stephen. It was, as you said, very, very stimulating and, again, heartening to know that we have um, such... Um, wise people, people who are out here working in this field, who are coming up with solutions, because you guys know I'm all about, I like to talk, but I am all about finding solutions. Like, I don't want to us to just have pity parties about how awful things are. I want us to talk about what we can do. I am a solution-oriented person. So I love it that the people that we have in here are those kinds of people. And I just want to thank you. Um, all for coming and, and joining us tonight. I did. Oh, look, uh, Brother Khalil decided to come up. So before Brother Khalil, I'm going to get Miss Kay, who I have not heard from in a while. Glad to have you here and looking forward to um, hearing from you. And I hope that you have enjoyed our conversation tonight. How are you tonight? Hi, Dee. Um, are you, is everyone able to hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, so I'm on limited features of Twitter currently. I was blocked after sending Governor Ron DeSantis a tweet while I was having some sort of flashback, uh, but also relating to current triggers that he has caused. Um, so I sent him this tweet saying, get slapped, which meant with lawsuits, which meant with diplomacy, which didn't mean, you know, in the face. However, because of the retaliation I have faced 
currently with this kind of limited features. I'm grateful that at least I'm able to speak here with you and catch up with you a little bit. And these conversations are important because they involve children and adults who were children. What kind of childhood did you have and how does that differ from the childhoods that are happening now? And what's that mean for those children's future when they become adults? Get slapped means to me that his dad slapped him around. And even my psychologist says, uh, makes a lot of sense. My psychologist is in Florida, I'm in California. There are a lot of differing factors when it comes to education. And one of the differences is, what is your access to information? Is your access too much? Is it too little? And books have been burned historically. Why are they doing it again? It doesn't make sense to me, Dee. All of you, it doesn't make sense to me. Why well, books... it's never a good thing when they start burning them, you know. Uh, good things are not likely to follow. <laughs> yeah. I, I can tell you a little bit about double-ending corruption because I've seen it for myself, observed it, perceived it. I haven't done it. I choose not to involve myself with corruption. However, in order to advocate for people and myself, I have to understand a little bit more about why corruption is evolving at such a fast pace. Is it AI? Is it the algorithm? Is it foreign involvement with American national issues? Is it all of the above? And I'm not trying to quiz anybody, but when people act confused, when they know what they're doing, all it does is divulge the level of corruption that uh, they won't stop. And I guess I'll leave it there, but I'm not gonna act confused. Hey, one thing, because your space is beautiful to me. Sitting in the morning sun, I'll be sitting when the evening comes. Aw, Miss Kay, I love that song. Otis. But I'll be standing. I'll be standing (laughs) with you. Well, thank you so very much. And I'm sorry that, you know, you don't have all your features, but I'm glad that you used the few that you have to come in and join us tonight. And I look forward to, you know, you joining us again. As I said, we're going to wind down, but thank you for coming up before we did to to share. And it's just good to hear your voice and see you again. I know you're always going to be um, out there fighting the good fight and we're in it together. You know that. I will. Thanks for having me and thanks for letting me share. All right. Um, okay. So I'm up out, next we've got but I'm listening. Khalil. Okay. Khalil and then my lovely co-host. Good, good. Uh, D, do I have to follow Khalil? <laughs> oh my goodness, D. 
<laughs> are you trying to say you want to go before Khalil Donna? You have the floor if you want it. You know, I am deferring to my co-host. So if you want to go first, you can just let me know. <laughs> yeah, I'm going first. I am not following him. All righty, I understand. We all have that feeling. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm petty like that. All right, and Khalil, I know, is such a gentleman. He is going to allow you to do that, right, Khalil? <laughs> I'm going to surprise you, Donna. I'm not, I'm, you know. <laughs> go go ahead, D. Go ahead, Donna. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Okay. Donna. Mine is real short and sweet. You know I ain't long-winded. So all I wanted to say was thank you for the space and the opportunity to be able to tell my story and what my fight was about and to see how those kids actually were able to live productive lives. And like I said earlier, the fight continues. Me and Danny still got a fight on our hands. And she know I'm here for whatever she needs from me. I'm here. And I land there. Well, thank you so much, and we appreciate um, you um, sharing your your wisdom and resources uh, and efforts to help Danny, and I'm hoping that I can get with Dimitri and we can do some work together and, and help some folks uh, here in Nashville. Uh, I really, I like I said, I'm very excited about getting to know her and possibly working with her. I have a young man that I know who is um, in this new teacher program that they're doing. So it looks like, you know, the um, initiative that she's working with, the Nashville Teacher uh, Residency, uh, he may be a part of that. So, um, you know, like I said, we are looking for solutions. Uh, there's not any one we know. Um, there are many and we're we're coming to uh, bring as many solutions to um, these issues as we can because the issues are, are not singular. So um, the, the solutions cannot be that either. So again, thank you so much, Donna. And I know you're going to keep uh, fighting the good fight uh, for our kids and, and helping other parents uh, in their fight as well. So uh, Khalil, you're up next. And then the lovely Danny. Uh, excuse me. Good, good evening, family. I am tired. Um, a long week. Yeah, huh? I really. But it was a really joyous week. I had got to spend um, the last three days with um, emerging leaders, um, um, young women and men who are working with um, troubled teens in Baltimore, and uh, and just kind of coaching them up and trying to inspire them and push them a little bit. And as anybody will tell you that teaches, and, and, uh, and you know, it, it's tiring. It's kind of like carrying people around for a while because they want to, the great news is that they want to get, they want to squeeze everything out of you. If they recognize you as an athlete, they want that information. So, and I'm kind of that person that won't, I'll shake hands to the, to the end of the day, you know, to, the last person's gone kind of thing. And so just exhausted. I don't have the stamina to do it anymore. Um, it, it, certainly I don't have the stamina to do it as I used to or like to even, again, the reason why I'm retiring. But I am really excited about the things that I heard here. I'm very thankful to you and Danny for creating a space that has an emphasis on, on education because as we often talk about training, excuse me, um, 
Education isn't the problem. Education is the solution. Our problem is ignorance. And you can look at it and find it in just about every area that feeds into education. You know, whether it's political, whether it's social, um, you know, it's, you know, we have these challenges. And I noticed it again, well, I notice it all the time, but this week just, you know, recognizing how hungry people are for um, substance and, and as you say, the solutions and, um, and living long enough to be able to, to at least offer some. Um, I'm really grateful for that. I'm very, very grateful for that. And then hearing, you know, all the things that I heard today, and I'm going to be frank, you know, I'm kind of been in and out because I've been so, you know, I'm so like tired. I just can't, I just can't hang like I used to. And it's just so, you know, it's, it's humbling. It really is. The old gray mayor. You know, and it's humbling, but I'm so excited. I'm really hoping, and I know you will have have some more spaces that are specifically, you know, about this topic and the, and the various parts of this topic because there are solutions, as as I believe um, her name is Demetria uh, suggests that there are some there, not suggested she shared with us there are solutions, you know, that that but there again ignorance is the issue that people aren't aware of those solutions they're not aware of their their access to those things um and so on so it's just important that we have these kind of educational um i think i meant to do that too uh discussions about education to to um arm our community um with it you know with the knowledge of what the challenges are and some pretty um, simple answers to, you know, which is what Dustin was suggesting and talking about. Um, but what's exciting is the inspiration that comes from listening to you all talk about this and recognizing that that generation has come behind Dr. Marshall and, you know, those, the, those people who've come behind, you know, UNED, UNID, um, they're, they're taking up that that mantle and, and moving forward and, and bringing solutions to the table and finding ways to, to get access to these young people that we are trying to get to and, um, and that we absolutely have to get to. But also to build communities. You know, I spent a lot of time this week talking about you know, we'll have kids who, for instance, might be institutionalized, and you know, unfortunately, I mean, uh, for behavior issues, which is a whole nother discussion. But and when they come home, they come back home to the same communities in which they they left. You know, so our communities continue. I mean, they, they're they're vital, obviously, and they're vibrant, much more vibrant, vibrant than we're led to believe. But you have to mine that goal. You have to, you have to stimulate the energy and activate the energy in the community for it to do the things that it needs to do for its youth, for its, for the vitality of the community. And there's just not enough time spent on that because we're busy putting out fires all the time. We're busy trying to catch up all the time. 
And and so if we're going to have this discussion and we are going to do that, then I'm, I'm just so excited about the idea that you and Danny sit, sit, demand solutions and that we don't just sit around and talk about this and, and you know, and patting people on the head with sympathy, you know, poor thing, poor thing, when what they need is empathetic action, you know, and uh, and I spent time, again, with young people that this past week, when I, I mean, these are young people who work in the field, um, um, and they're very ready to take on the responsibilities. They just need someone to give them the direction and they're also part, and this is, I think, kind of what Stephen was talking about earlier, uh, and I think others have alluded to it, and that is we have a system that doesn't recognize us, and we keep trying to use a system that doesn't recognize us to meet our needs. And so that's why people like, you know, um, Demetria have to come up with these ideas, these these things to meet our needs, because clearly our needs are not being met in the community, and the system isn't built or designed, or frankly, I hate saying this, but it's not inclined to address the issues that we're talking about. They act as if they're overwhelmed by it. So I think we've heard things in this room today, in this space, this evening, that indicates what the possibilities are, what we're capable of, what we can do. And again, I spent time with people who want to do it and very bright, intelligent, committed people. But I felt I, I, the day I did a class on ethical leadership and uh, I didn't know what to expect uh, because I think almost everyone in the room were um, probably, I think I had a couple of exes, but most of them were millennials. And there, there were, yeah, millennials. Um, and, and, and maybe a Y or two. And so, you know, it was, it, I felt that my job was to not just share the information with them, but to inspire them. You know, how many times have you guys, you know, we all go into a training and they give us these nice, big, these nice big notebooks full of information. We take it back to our office at home and never look at it again. So the ideal thing for someone in my role at this point in my life is to be inspirational, to push people forward, to encourage them to, go, to move forward, to let them know that, it, you know, it's going to be all right because we, we, because we know we, we have the, the wherewithal to, to push us through the challenges and the things that we face. Um, and we have a history, a, an incredible history, 409-year history of what we're capable of and what brilliance we have. So we don't have to, you know, go look it up. We don't have to Google it. You know, we're living it every single day. And we just need to activate it and the people that we care so deeply about. And I believe is where goes this, our community goes this country. And we all know, you know, black women are the, the very 
are the, the, the conscious of this country right now. So I'm just excited about, you know, these kind of discussions. I really hope, I know, I know I, that you will, you, you and Danny will continue to, um, you know, you know, measure, have these measured discussions about these important issues. And, you know, Danny, by the way, we're waiting for you to start another series because you keep coming up in all of the spaces. I mean, everybody's like, you know, when are you and Dawn going to, you know, feed us some more um, education and nutrition, you know? So, you know, we are, we built over the last year and a half a true family, a true community. And despite all of the other challenges that come to creating community, what we see here tonight, what we heard here today is the fruit of that labor. Now we just need to harvest it and plant for the next season. And that's where we are right now. We need to plan. I know that people have other things that they're doing and other projects and things they're engaged in. So I'm not really talking about that. I know people aren't walking away, but note that this community is desperate for nutrition. And so when those voices that we've become accustomed to are not as accessible as they have been, it does create something of a void. But what we have to do, those who expect that, is put on our big, they don't have big boy and girl pants and, you know, keep it moving because you know, other people got things they have to do. You all have plans. So we'll get over it. But I just want you to know that your voices are missed. And what you brought to this community, the gravity of the subjects that we've covered, and certainly the substance of this community is not gone. This, what, no matter what's happened, the substance of this community remains. So let's, you know, let's, let's just be aware of that. And I sense that we all are, but there's so much to do. And we don't have off years, folks. I wish people would stop saying that. When you have a democracy that's under attack, such as ours, and all that work that our forebears put into creating this nation, you know, um, you know, for nothing, and people are telling you, you know, they're going to burn it down because they're not interested in, you know, sharing um, the wealth, uh, you know, the intellectual, social, emotional wealth of this country. You know, well, I'm not going to allow them to do that. So, and nor should you. So I thank you, Dee. I thank you, Danny. I thank all of you all for, you know, giving me quite a uh, discussion, a, a crescendo for my for my week. Cause it, it really was a great week and I needed this week. That um, sure tired me out, but I needed it. And this was just a great way to end it. Um, and I don't mind saying this and I know, you know, it may seem even awkward to say, but I do love you all. I love what you, what you share, what you bring to us, what, you know, whatever the issues are, doesn't matter. I genuinely understand that there's real love in this community and I'm very appreciative of it. Thank you, Dee. Thank you, Danny. Well, we certainly love you, Khalil, and thank you so much for that. And thank you for the work uh, that you have spent a lifetime doing, that you are continuing to do. And we know that you are 
winding that work up, getting ready to retire. And we're wishing you so much success um, and ease in making that transition and looking forward to uh, life after retirement and the contributions that I know um, that you will be continuing to make um, in your community because that's who you are. And um, we love you for that. And just thank you for always supporting us um, and encouraging us and letting us know that our voices do matter and that they are missed. And I, we love you for that. So thank you so much. So up next, um, I have B. my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, since he's entering the grandparents club now. Yes. That's right. That's you wanna, right. You want to get my energy up, start talking about me being a potential. Man, I can't be any more excited. See what you started down there. I, was, I know. We I are was getting ready to lay back on the pillow. Then you said something about grand. Woo. That's a whole ready. that's a whole uh, nother journey, Khalil. And, sure Donna, and I, I have lots we can share with you on that's that. That's what <laughs> I'm gonna be using you all as a reference in the future. I'm letting you know that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're looking forward to it. And again, like I said, wishing you so much success and and just ease um, in that transition because transitions can be very difficult. I know, Um, you know, um, so uh, just uh, like I said, sending you much love and and support and thanking you for all the support and love that you're always providing to us. And we appreciate having you in our community and uh, having your voice and your wisdom um, share, you know, you so graciously sharing it with us. So up next, uh, we're going to wrap it up with my co-host, Miss Danny. And um, we're going to close out for what I think has been a very, very good, informative evening. Thank you, Missy. It really has a very informative space. Um, I want to thank everyone for your sweet words, especially in the DMs. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Ms. D, for also allowing me to co-host with you. Um, all the help and wisdom that I get from you and Mama Donna as well as I go through this journey uh, with my son. Um, just really quickly, I did want to say something to um, Joseph. When you spoke the second time, I couldn't hear anything. So I'm going to go back to what you said in the beginning. And I understand that you might not be a parent right now. Uh, but the fact that you already care you're already ahead of the game. That's all you really need when you want to see change, especially in our education system. Um, We actually need more people like that. Um, Representation matters. Um, I talk about this often that through this journey with my son, he's been in special needs classes. Um, There seems to be lacking. I know Ms. D uh, gave the statistics. Um, there is a shortage of teachers. They get burned out. They're tired. Um, There's a shortage of Black teachers. There's a shortage of Black male teachers. There's a shortage of Black male teachers that go into uh, ESE classrooms, specialized education for children. Um, To not have that represented when you have about 40% of young boys in those classroom settings, that's a huge deficit, meaning that they probably don't see anyone that looks like them for a very long time, if at all. Um, My son, it got to, I think, eighth grade, and that was in the middle of the pandemic, and he was watching her through a screen. And that pandemic was the worst for him. 
because he just got up from the laptop, just would not pay attention at all. And then we got to high school and right now he seems to be doing better. So now my um, fight is no longer with the school, is with the lawmakers because now these BS laws that they're writing now directly affects my son. Um, I think it's important to, um, I did mention this in the podcast, I think the word advocacy and activist or advocate, um, these are all words that can be intimidating. Um, I don't know if I'm an advocate just yet. Um, I think it's, you are. <laughs> Go ahead, embrace I think, it. <laughs> thank you. See, um, it, it's. I think it's a weighty word, and for people like me, it kind of okay. I'm not sure if I'm doing enough to have that word be attached to me, but I am learning that, like Joseph, you just want to do something that you care. You know, it matters to you. Um, our communities are better when our children are educated. This is not a hard um, solution to come up with. Um, there are just systems in place that are making it difficult. Um, we know that when children have all the resources and they have the support, how better off they are when they go into the real world. And the fact that so many communities are operating in a deficit when it comes to outdated books, when it comes to if the schools are even up to code health-wise, um, the kind of meals that they're eating, if they can even afford it, um, the teachers how is one teacher supposed to teach 30 kids, 30 plus kids? And um, when it comes down to even just getting them to school, there's a shortage of bus drivers as well. Um, and another aspect that we haven't really touched on is some of them died because of COVID because they were just all exposed all at the same time. And Unfortunately, in certain states, they just wasn't counting to de their deaths as COVID. I mean, there are so many areas that we can um, look into. And again, not everybody needs to be the quarterback. Not everybody needs to be the running back. But everybody, as long as we care, everybody can do their part. Um, I'm all for, you know, those who um, understand contracts. What does the CBA with the teachers union look like? Um, do they need to go all on strike? What does that look like if state after state, teacher after teacher's union all said enough is enough? We've given y'all our paychecks. Um, we've done everything that we can. We deserve better and the children deserve better. Um, I think there are so many different ways that we can attack this. Um, and it might take some of us running it might take some of us, um, I believe in the state of Florida, when it comes to the Parents' Bill of Rights, all it takes is one parent to have an issue with a book for then that book to go into review for a possible book ban. That's all it takes. It doesn't even require a majority. One parent just needs to complain, and that is it. That is something that the lawmakers in the state of Florida decided that they wanted to do. And I'm all for attack them on all sides because they are literally trying to attack us on all sides. And like everyone else, I'm ready to pay play offense. We could do defense too, but I'm ready to, no, push back on a lot of this stuff.
And I think once they realize, no, part of my language, you're not going to fuck with our kids like this. Okay, now it is something. Do we have to go after their donors? I'm for all suggestions at this point. <laughs> because if we don't have our children, then what do we have? And leaders and our elders are tired. They put in the work and they want to rest. And I think it's also kind of cruel that we have to continue to lean on them because, unfortunately, the younger generation just are not there yet. But we can get there. And so I want to thank Ms. D again for the podcast, the opportunity um, to speak with everyone. Um, it's been awesome. Thank you. Well, again, I want to thank you, all of my 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 wonderful co-host, Danny, who is sitting in the spot, Miss Donna, who um, was a um, a a co-host, even though we couldn't get her in that spot because she's part of the interview. She um, has been an inspiration. Her work has been an inspiration to me, which is why I felt like this was um, an interview worthy of being done, her story worthy of being told as is Danny's. And I know that they are um, there are so many more. They're just the tip of the iceberg. And I think it's very important for us to uh, start having some of these conversations because um, education um, is key to us saving our democracy. There is a uh, full-on assault on our democracy as well as our education. Um, and we know that our children are our future, you know? And some of these, you know, old sayings like um, education is power I, that resonates with me it always has and it always will because it's true um, and um, the fact that they are working so hard to prevent um, our children from being educated should be disturbing to everyone I mean it really is disturbing to me on a very visceral level because again um, when we see people burning books, I mean, um, and denying um, children access to information, to history, this is not a good direction. It is not uh, the sign of a healthy democracy. And we know that in the past where they burned books, um, other awful things followed. And I think that we have seen enough of these things play out that we can see, given the opportunity, they would like for some awful things to be played out in this country. And we simply cannot let it stand um, without fighting back. But I don't always want us to be on the defense. As Danny said, I like us being on the offense. I like that we can have these conversations and spaces, inform ourselves, create our own narratives, even though we can't always count on mainstream media to uh, present those narratives. Uh, we are our own source of grassroots information and media. We uh, tell the story and let you know the legacy media catch up. We let these conversations bubble up so that they know uh, what's important to us. 
um, we're not taking their lead. We're going to get them to take ours because it's our country, our stories. And these are the things that matter to us and not the clickbaity sensational stories that they want to ruminate over, over, on, over and over again. Uh, so again, I am overjoyed with your support, with all of the wonderful guests that came and shared uh, with their expertise and their knowledge. And again, like I said, this I hope will be the first of many conversations. It is a start. And I know Danny has said that, you know, she thinks that word advocacy is a little heavy, but and, and maybe it is. But I just view it as really caring when you care about something, you're advocating for it. So um, I see uh, people advocating for a lot of things, and um, I want to amplify that and to continue to encourage it because it's going to take all of us together. I think some of the things that uh, some of the speakers um, addressed really spoke to the fact that this is a community issue that is going to require community involvement and community solutions. So so I am grateful to be part of a community here that I know understands that and is not just, you know, giving lip service to it, but is actively working in their real lives and their own circles of influence to do something about it. And I want to keep amplifying those stories and, you know, bringing us together because uh, together we are stronger and we can um, bring about some solutions. So I just want to leave everyone with some encouraging words that I often do um, around our democracy. And I feel like they are, again, uh, appropriate in, in this issue because um, this issue with our education system didn't start yesterday. It's been an ongoing thing. We're not going to solve it today or tomorrow, but we can begin the work. And I feel like this conversation here is... Um, laying, you know, track um, in that, in a good direction for us uh, to find some solutions. So I want to leave you with some encouraging words uh, and hope from um, the late great representative John Lewis. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. So I wanna thank all of you for coming here and joining me in all of my uh, spaces in advocacy arena, making noise and good trouble because we know that it definitely does make a difference and just leave you all with um, peace and blessings for a wonderful weekend ahead. Be safe. Uh, be well, keep making noise, keep making good trouble, and I will see you in Advocacy Arena on Monday. So until then, be well. Good night. Good night, y'all. Have a good weekend. Stay safe.